Welcome to episode 127 of Zapped to the Past. I am Adrian Mills, and I'm joined as always by Mr. Graham Raddings. If you haven't listened before, this is a podcast where we discuss games that were released for the Commodore 64. We're using the magazine Zap 64 as a monthly guide for the games to focus on, but we are in no way affiliated with Zap 64 itself. This week, we start our look at July 1989 and the first batch of games reviewed in issue 51 of Zap 64, along with what was also going on in the UK singles and albums chart that month. Graham, the second half of the year has begun. Is there a notable incline in the quality of the software on display? In this exciting episode where we try to understand why they sell salted and sweet popcorn in the same bag in local shops, but not in local cinemas. While we try and figure that out, we explore the darkest fears of our imagination through the medium of impossibly difficult shoot-em-ups. In Phobia, grab our best bright yellow trousers and head to the east side gym for some weird form of gang ritual in street cred boxing, and once again join another wing of the military to explore their overly challenging aquatic motions in the tricky Navy moves. It turns out they will mix popcorn in the cinema if you ask. They just won't cross hot dog sausages. I didn't ask about that anyway, but at least we know. Anyway, after all that, we slip into our brightest coloured one-piece Theatars and ascend the high wires and trapezes in circus attractions, nip for a jerky race around the brown roads and highways of California, driving an 8-bit supercar in The Duel, Test Drive 2, and then time travel back to 1985 and get all flappy and mappy in the ancient double entendre world of Cockatoni Wilf. It's a short selection of games, some of which have their impossibility settings switched to excruciating, and some of which have too much green and too much brown. You decide which. Be nice if there was. It would be good, wouldn't it? It would be nice yeah. to go into the back half of the year and everything to be, like, good. It would. It would be marvellous. <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't it? Wouldn't it just, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be lovely? <laughs> we can laugh about it now. We're all right. Absolutely, yeah. I've, uh, I've seen the doctor and he's prescribed lots of diazepam. But first, before we get into any games or anything like that, because it's we're a new month, uh, it is the cover. We must look at the cover, Graham. Let us look at the cover. Ah, shiny and gruesome. Yeah. So there's a it's a bit of a mix up this one. I mean, it's it's for the uh, game Phobia, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yes. Phobia. Um, yes. Avoiding the obvious phobias, and I feel maybe you know. <laughs> <laughs> Not putting spiders on things on the front, but just scorpions and skulls. I don't know a lot of people that are phobia of those things, but I suppose they are there. I'm so I'm I'm guessing they are there. And and what, is that a tree that sort of, or is that a claw or something reaching out to the Zap logo? I, I don't know. It, it's it's some kind of thing. It's a creature. Maybe it's a bit of both. Who knows? It's actually very. You know, the energy coming out of it is good, isn't it? There's lots of bright colours. I love the colour coming off the. There's a guy sort of screaming like a face screaming with like a mask on the way ollie's done the light coming off that looks brilliant the, the color on this is really good really really good what's the creature at the top of his head i don't know and i don't think we'll ever know <laughs> i don't know it looks like someone out the idol on it's got a torch for a face and you know maybe that's you know, that's its power who knows it's very bright 
Who knows? Um, yeah. But good use of deep reds on this cover. You notice how rich the reds look. I don't know if that's just the scan or that's what it looked like, but wow, the reds are really red. They're really popping. <laughs> I think that's your monitor. Well, maybe. Well, it's a good monitor, but I mean, they're, just, they, they're bright red. <laughs> the phobia writing is a nice rich red, but if the real is. killer is the writing for the £1.25, which is, is that cheaper than normal? But it's it's very poppy on my screen, that. It's very it good. is, yeah, it is here as well. I mean, someone might call it an Argento deep red. Yes, yes, that could, could be Argento it. red. That would be the Citadel paint, wouldn't it? <laughs> it would, yeah, it would. The niche <laughs> Citadel paints for Dario Argento miniatures. <laughs> Argento red, Tenebrae blue. The small range of miniatures that they released for him. So there many purple, of them. But uh, yeah, it's all right. So there's a spaceship and uh, it's got lights and there's weird faces and skulls. Well, unusually, there's space for the lasers coming off the ship. Although that, it looks like more like it's firing a broom at somebody, that, like the broomstick. But there is, <laughs> they don't normally have a gap for them. Normally the text just runs across the image. They've, I've noticed this over the past couple of episodes. Yeah. They're actually spacing the text layouts in these now, or the typography. They're spacing it around the image a bit more. I think people were saying, maybe Ollie was saying, Look, I draw these beautiful pictures and you splash text all over them. Like, stop doing that. Yeah. And I think that's what they've done because the, the, this one and the previous one seems to have space, to, you know, room to breathe, room to see the stuff going on. It's nice. Mm. Well, there's no tape, is there, as well? So there's no tape to fit in. No, so, no, there isn't. So there's that as well. Anyway, what games? The, the Duel, the Porsche 959 versus Ferrari F40. Sounds yeah, good, doesn't out it? The box. Yeah, out of the box. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> And obviously, Phobia Wicked. And there's lots of, uh, weirdly, there's uh, the Kiwi from New Zealand Story at the bottom. Why is that even there? Uh, I presume it's previewed somewhere in the magazine because it's not uh, reviewed in the oh, magazine. I think, it is. I think it is, yeah. Yeah, it must be previewed. I did notice, like you said, we just sort of, I know we talk about the cover, but to talk about the magazine, it has gone a bit laddish. Yeah, I told you. I noticed it in the last one and it's, you know, get your tips out. Was it for the lads or something awful? Yeah. I'm like, don't, what, what are you doing? Another another thing I noticed, and we've been sort of, you know, wondering about the US gold stuff going on you know some mm. of the reviews and some of the scores and some of the thing is yeah well on the word in the sort of the news section zap and us gold have teamed up to release a compilation mm. okay i'm not saying anything i'm just saying that's what they've done it's there you know five mm. and the games actually aren't bad on it bionic commando solomon's key california games drop zone and impossible mission 2 it comes with a free brown envelope in every box <laughs> yeah could, could, could very well do but you know it is a bit weird it is a bit i don't know I'm not, mm. not sure I approve. But yeah, it has gone a little bit laddish, hasn't it? Some of the sort of comments and yeah. stuff throughout. It was like, um, it was. I think it was the Stormlord review. Yeah. Where it was, there was because it's got, you know, varies with their boobs out essentially. And, and they were like making a big thing about that. And then there was a few other yeah. things I noticed. I'm like, just tone that down a little. Come on. I mean, I suppose they're just maybe, I don't know. I don't know. It's an editorial choice, isn't it? But, well, it's a know. whole new, and that's, I think that's the thing to also mention about this uh, episode as well, this issue as well. It's a whole new team, isn't it? Yes. The old yes, team are out, the new is. team are in. You got Randy, Phil, and Stu. Remember those? Yeah, true. So, uh, different attitude. Well, the lads' mags were starting to really get shelf space at this point. When the FHM, I think FHM came out in 1985, but by 1989, 1990, yeah. uh, loaded, it was really starting to. That culture was just shifting that way a bit, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, that sort of thing. England was a strange place at the time, and yeah, we're, we're heading into we're heading into that laddish 90s. We are, we are, we are. And yes, of course, this was, you know, and the, all, all the things at the times, all building up, isn't it, the profile? But I don't think, I never, I didn't buy Zap at this point in, back in the day. I'd stopped by now. So all of these issues are completely new to me and all of these issues in the issues, as it were, well, then they're, they're of no surprise of the time, but they are surprising me a little bit. This is still really a magazine aimed at games for, you know, teenagers and it's less about the games, is it? I don't yeah, know, that, maybe that's just... That 
tips out for the lads page is it's, it's quite shocking. It's bad. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's just a bit tasteless, isn't it? And even by 1989 standards, it's, it's a bit crap. Yeah. For those who want to, it's on page 32 for those who want to go have a look, but you'll just go, yeah. oh, God, that's. Uh, that's yeah, you not won't great. like it. You won't like that. No, um, you won't. Anyway, there you go. That's the cover. Let's. Uh, that's the magazine. Should we get into the games? I think it's time. I think it's time. I think we yeah. Should. I think, I think we have to. We, we do. Have to. We don't we have, have to. to do it. We've got six this week, so let's get into that very first one. And it is that cover game. And Graham, it's over to you to tell us all about your phobia. Ooh, phobia, scary. This is eight ninety nine, and it was ninety two percent. It sizzled. It did. Mm. It was a sizzler. Mm-hmm. Well, it certainly was. So it was published by Imageworks. It was designed by David Bishop and John Cook. Bishop and Cook. Bishop and Cook. That's who did it. Um, it was coded by Tony Crowther, Anthony Crowther. Title screen was Anthony Crowther. Musician was Anthony Crowther. Anthony Crowther made it pretty much. He did, he did most of it. He did everything. He did He did everything here. Yeah. Um, there is, there is a, uh, a story to this, a scenario, as it says in the instructions. Mm. And it says this. To sleep perchance to dream, but don't sleep too deeply because all your nightmares are waiting for you in this unique arcade blast from Tony Crowther. You don't want Tony Crowther in your nightmares, ever. <laughs> Phobia is set in the minds of men, feeding on every human fear, spiders, fire, death, and dentists. Okay, Grab hold of your courage and prepare to face the frightening challenge of each of the 14 planets that Phobos has set against you. Can your body take the heat? Can your brain take the pressure? Can you figure out what the hell they were smoking when they wrote that? <laughs> we may never know. We may never know. So the game then. Lord Phobos, master of fear, has imprisoned the daughter of the galactic president and is holding her captive on the surface of the sun. More sizzling. <sighs> Knowing that a rescue mission would be launched, Phobos has created a series of worlds which must be passed through before any prospective rescuer gains access to the sun. After careful study of the human mind and subconscious, Phobos has fashioned each planet in the form of a human phobia. He knows that this is the most powerful human emotion, and the fear of fear itself is enough to deter any would-be heroes. Clever, that. Using fear against him, you know. Remember that fear is just false evidence appearing real, as we all know. Situated in the core of each planet... I'm sorry, what? (laughs) False false evidence appearing real, as we all know. Um, (laughs) Read it in a book somewhere. Situated in the core of each... Actually, it's not. It's from Johnny Wu. He's on, uh, he's on Pain and Gain, the film Pain and Gain. Do be a doer, don't be a donor. Anyway, situated in the core of each planet is a rare element which affords total protection against the heat of the sun. Sunblock, then. Not a rare element, is it? It's just sunblock. <laughs> it's just sunblock. Factor 50. Sunblock. Factor 50 sunblock, yeah. Get some piss brewing. Anyway, uh, nine of these are required to protect the entire ship and allow an attack on the sun itself. You've got to cover your ship in sun cream. I like it. <laughs> bit of solid. Like yeah, so there's a little bit of sunshine in the film Sunshine, which I watched recently. It's very interesting anyway. Yeah. Phobos has other defensive systems to deter the rescue mission. His dreaded sun troops will start out from the opposite end of the stellar system and attempt to cut off the routes to Phobos. They will leave light barriers between planets, which will destroy any ship attempting to pass through at light speed. So don't pass through at light speed then. The only way through these is to either sacrifice a ship or to collect a space pod from an orbiting moon and sacrifice this. Space pods will also produce firepower after sufficient power-ups have been collected. Are we following along? You're probably not. No. <laughs> Progress through the game is made Odd. by destroying a phobic planet, traveling through to the core and collecting a shield piece, then progressing on to the next planetary system. If the moon of the planet is flashing, this indicates that space pods are present and you have the opportunity of fighting through the lunar defenses to collect these. 
The components of the phobic planet will leave behind power-ups when destroyed, which can be collected to improve your fighting characteristics of your craft. Also present on every phobic planet are the key generators, which power an impenetrable shield at the end of each system. These must be identified and destroyed before the shield is reached. Yowza. Mm. So, if you choose to undertake the mission with a comrade, there is a special energy exchange weapon system that can Ooh. be employed. Firing at the other player's ship gives it a power-up. The ship will change colour as the energy is absorbed, and when the charged ship next fires, it will unleash a devastating burst of destruction, proportional to the amount of energy absorbed. If you are playing in a single player, then a binary doppelganger loop system can be used, or a BDLS. Mm. <laughs> Your single <laughs> ship can double itself up, thus increasing firepower, but also increases vulnerability. Player 1 controls over joystick port 2, player 2 controls over joystick 1. <laughs> I sense a great tremor in the logic force. What <laughs> uh, <laughs> Who am I? You're player two. Plug into one then. Well, I'm player one. Hey, hey, plug into two. I can't. I've got a deadly phobia of people putting the wrong ports in the wrong thing. Uh, anyway, just to start a two-player game, move the joystick to the right of the game title screen so that the second score gets displayed on a screen. For a two-player game, the two joysticks are needed, obviously. Obviously. So the function for splitting the ship, doppelganger, is achieved by pressing space or the fire button over joystick port one. This function can only be accessed in a one-player mode. Not in port two. Now, importantly, there was a disc version and a tape version of this game, and they worked slightly differently. Mm. If you select the tape version of Phobia, the game levels are to be played in a fixed order, and you have to play all levels and planets, and you have to watch your way back because you can't fly back. You can't go back. So once you you progress forward, you're going forward. That's it. So that's not quite the same in the disc version, obviously. There is a high score entry system, I think. I don't know if that was added by the, the crackers of Remember and everybody. They do that kind of thing, you know, in kindness. But that's actually, that's all the instructions you're going to get for this. It's all you're going to get. It's a multi-load game. I played the disc version of this and it started off with a nice freaky looking loading screen with some great music. Very thumpy, very sample. Very thumpy. thumpy. Tony Crowther music. Pretty good, actually. Didn't know he was quite the talented musician, but he was pretty good. He was one half of Wii Music, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, I guess. But it just, I never, you know, Ben Daglish gets all the kind of, you know, the kudos, doesn't he? But it was pretty pretty good. And the Mm -hmm. title screen looked quite interesting as well. Sort of a straggly haired face, freaking out, very, uh, very freaky looking, very yeah. Freaky, someone Put with me a phobia. In mind of some, a band like Osric Tentacles for some reason. Yeah, there's definitely that kind of vibe to it. You know, that kind of you know tentacly face. I don't know. Anyway, it's quite famous for that image. That kind of image did the rounds for this. Did. Um, so, what is it all really then? Well, it's another side-scrolling shooter to add to the list, isn't it? Hot on the heels of many, mm-hmm. many others we've had. Catechist, Armalite, R-Type, and the list goes on. So this is all uh, set in the mind. Open your mind, Adrian. Open your mind. No. Um, and I said, there is a t- disc and tape difference. Um, so if you like playing things in sequence, play the tape. Weirdly, on the version we had, the disc version, you could play it in tape mode. How strange. Weird. Yeah. Anyway. So an oddly bland title screen then. Once the loading screen of the screaming face and the music got has gone, the t- oddly bland title screen comes up with the word phobia, it's like flashing logo, kind of rotate raster type thing. Quite pumpy sound going on. I'm not quite sure what it was, but kind of a pumpy sound. And um, it wasn't music as such, more of a sound effect. High scores, a bit oddly underwhelming, I thought. When you Very much so that. for a Crowther, Crowther title screen. There's usually loads of stuff going on. Maybe they're just cramming as much into the game as they can. Fair enough. But it's that. a multi-load. Yes, well, I don't know the nuances of what's going on. However, once you click in whatever variant, I played one player, didn't play two player. That would be stupid. I've got one joystick and there's only me. Be and you had to plug in port two, not one. I did. I did. I made sure I had the right port for the right player. Yeah. Best thing to do. Anyway, so then you get to, you see the system of phobia map, which looks a little bit like sort of a grid map with little planet dots in it. So there's, I think all the 14 levels are there. 
So there's like little circle dots all connected by lines. It's like a map grid that you can you can traverse with a little tiny spaceship where mm-hmm. you select where you're going to go. You can't on the very first thing you've got to use you've got to press fire button on the very first planet that you're on. Mm-hmm. And then once you've completed that and gone through all the brouhaha, you can then move to the next one, and the next one, and the next one, and so forth, and so on, and so on. In the middle of that, there's a skull. No idea what that is. I'm guessing maybe that's the a big badass or something. I don't know. But as you progress across all the way across to the right, it just there's a little sun. And it says, help on it. So I'm guessing that's the sun thing. And then your UI (laughs) is actually present on this because the UI in the game is also the same as what's on this bit. So the bottom left in the border, which is nice, is a score, your number of lives. uh, I think whether it's player one, two, and a little indication of any extra things you've got. And then to the right of that is like a little gritty thing, which is, I think, all of the various sun creams that you've got to get to protect your ship. (laughs) Are there 14 different types of sun cream? Uh, Maybe there is, you know. I don't know all the different types. There's different factors, different brands. Yeah, there is, you know. There's there's, uh, all the different ones you Nivea, Simple, I bet they've got their own brands. Yeah, these are the spray-on ones, the pumpy ones, you know, all that. The bronzer ones. The bronze, yeah. There's there's the carrot-based ones, of course. No. Oh, are they? Okay. Not sure of that. I've never suntanned a carrot, but... (laughs) Apparently it's quite important. Anyway, <laughs> if that's your if that's your bag, I'm probably sure you could. You know, that's your bag of carrots. Do that. <laughs> yeah, so you go, you go and do that. You go and suntan your carrots. It sounds painful to me, but okay. Uh, anyway, so that's the system of phobia, and you've got to navigate through that, Adrian. All the planets have different names. I didn't get to many of these for reasons I'll explain um, in a moment. <laughs> Will you? That's surprising. That is that's surprising. That was a big old grid of stuff you could do, and you suppose you can choose your route through that. You won't be able to do that, but it'd be nice. It's nice that you've got the the view of that. It's a bit like looking at a tube map on the station and then them announcing all the tubes have broken and you can't go anywhere. You're like, well, at least I can see the map. I can see where I could have gone, which is nice. So you press fire and then nothing happens, which is weird because then you have to press fire again. I don't quite know why that happened. Is that a quirk of our version? I don't know. Just to press fire, expecting the game to start. It was just sat there for ages. I'm like, oh, okay. Press fire, fire twice for some reason. Okay. Makes sense, I suppose. It's the first planet you'll go. Um, Now, the game is a standard left-to-right shooter, in mostly. There's a nice sort of suitable parallax effect in the background with some nice foreground details that are quite nicely realised and coloured. It's a bit of a mixture of reses. I think there's some coding trickery going on to enable more of a colour palette. I'm not 100% sure, but it does look like that might be the case. And also there's uh, sort of lots of waves of things. You've got kind of a sort of dotty parallax effect that goes into distance. Quite effective, but flickery, but quite effective. And then you've got your sort of main spaceship view. I suppose you could say that the main view of everything is actually the full screen because the bottom border is what's used for the UI and whatnot. So so the game is playing over the full screen of the Commodore 64. That's pretty impressive stuff. The layout is essentially, it's kind of a tile, almost a tile-based approach, character tile-based approach. There are sprites in here as well, which comprise. So there's some clever Cody tricks going on to mix all of that up. So when you shoot... You're shooting character bullets, obviously. That becomes a bit obvious later as some of the bullets, when they go over the background, they get kind of a block around them, which is always a bit of a telltale sign that there's some character graphics going on in there and some trickery. But there's the, like I said, there's a mixture of reses. You get, you get waves of things in here from long-legged walking things to bubbles to bugs and all sorts of things that attack you. I suppose they're meant to be phobias. So there's bits, there's spiders and bugs and what look like horns. And what it looked like to me, actually, was that they clearly looked at about six of the previous side-scrolling shoot-em-ups and gone, I like that bit, I like that bit, I like that bit of that one, I like that bit of that one, and kind of bolted them all into this one. So it's like a Frankenstein version of all of those other games. It's kind of a bit mm-hmm. of all those bolted in. Anyway, so you probably, uh, so you've actually got to blast your way. Now, I, you will try that, I'll grant you, and you'll probably enjoy that background and that scenery for about 28 pixels, maybe, maybe 29 <laughs> before you're dead. Because you'll get destroyed a lot in this. So, you, like I said, your bullets are essentially character graphics. 
And when you shoot some of the enemies or waves, they will drop upgrades, which will up the ante on your weapons in some way. I managed to get, because they drop like, the, the upgrades look like kind of cannons. Yeah, they're like little two kinds. Yeah, it's a little warpers thing. So you collect those, and it's not really clear exactly what it upgrades. I got nope. more bullets at one point. I suddenly went faster, and I think it would have been nice to be able to choose, I felt. Yeah. So the upgrading was completely arbitrary, and at the, there seemed to be a lot of them dropped at one point, and I just never seemed to get much for them. I had about I collected about six of the damn things, and I'm trying to kill myself at least three times, trying to get to at least one of them. I wasn't really, I didn't feel like I was really getting anywhere. And there are some others that you can shoot that at, like smart bombs, but they're all placed in such obtuse positions that next impossible to get to, to do that to anyway. Mm-hmm. Aye, aye, aye. So you won't get a lot of the upgrades. And if you do, they won't seem to upgrade. I've got extra speed. Didn't help me because it just made me fly into the scenery, which will kill you if you touch it. You get some extra rotary balls, a bit like the ones in Nemesis. Like I said, remember this is the Frankenstein shoot one. So you yeah. know, bit of Nemesis, bit of Nemesis. Well, I put that in there. So you get that. And they... Do shoot more bullets on the screen, all right. But then some of the flickering, some of the bugs started to appear when and when more stuff was happening on the screen. Um, and I wasn't very happy about that. And when you press the space button, which you can only do once per level, you do get that dual spaceship thing. And then you, I died within a second. So it, it doesn't just leave you vulnerable. It leaves you stupidly vulnerable. <laughs> it's like, wow, that's cool, dead. Oh, well, it was nice. It was nice to see it. It was nice. And I felt like, I said that a lot when I was playing this game. Well, at least I got to see that. <laughs> You can't overly touch the backgrounds because that equals death. You can't hit the enemies because that also equals death. And if your bullets hit you, and they will, and that's also death. The fire button shoots, the joystick moves your ship around, moved in, into anything that you shouldn't be, you're dead. Go anywhere you shouldn't, you're dead. You'd be dead a lot in this. <laughs> you are, yeah. If you get to the end and you, you'll face some kind of boss creature, they're quite big and quite flickery and buggy, as they seem to be with some of these bosses at the end. And you've got to re- repeatedly blast that to beat it and then uh, to beat that planet. And then you get back to the map screen and you can go off to another planet. Sometimes you get the in-between planet levels. There's a bit of traveling in that. And it sort of puts you in like a near impossible to navigate scramble-like maze filled with alien snipers that are so accurate, you won't see much of that level even if you get there. <laughs> yeah, but it was nice to see it. It was nice. It was nice to. It was <laughs> it nice that it was there. I got I got to experience there. it a little. <laughs> Touch any of the scenery in that and it's, and it's, it's quite tight quarters and it's death get to the end shoot the giant egg at least i got to you know that bit and then it dropped a question mark which i died collecting instantly so i don't know what happened there so i lost a life just collecting that uh, anyway you do that and you move on to the next thing and so on and so on and so on and stuff so now i didn't get any further than that in this game because it's impossible the ui like i said simple you've got five lives five lives i mean really honestly and uh, a little indication of anything that you've collected either so you don't really know what you're collecting or what it's for nope. when you do get the when you do collect the sun cream lotion it does light up a splodge on your on your egg box at the bottom there but it's not going to help you because you won't get nine of them it'd be a, a day a cold day in hell the devil will ice skate to work on the day you're finishing this game so i suppose you've got the whole game to play and it's nice that they've put that stuff there to remind you of the things you're never going to be able to do or see isn't it that's always good things do scroll and move at a pace there's loads on the screen moving and shooting drawing lines to block you they're dead annoying those things that draw the lines across the screen now you can just shoot little holes in them yeah yeah but they're next to they make the game next to impossible because it makes the screen so cluttered that it's not very fun, that. It's hard on the eyes when there's a lot of stuff like floating around and drawing lines and all of that going on. The complex blend of sprites and characters does demonstrate, like I say, some clever coding, but the glitches and flicky details, especially on the boss parts and especially when you get some of the other bullets going over some of the areas, starts to show a little bit of its, a bit of its crudity. Graphics, I thought, were good, nicely shaded and detailed. Not that you see a lot of them, but the ones that you do see, and I'm, I, I appreciated what was there. <laughs> It's nice to see that. Well, quite it's nice. nice. It's see. nice to see that that was there. <laughs> Quality of them does vary. I noted on some of the later levels, which, by the way, I had to then 
initiate some kind of cheat mode so I could actually at least try and get to see what some of the other levels look like. And even then I managed to get only one further. <laughs> so, uh, and there, so the, but the, some of the later levels, the one I went to was a lot more like Monty Python. So, it, you know, at one point there was a giant fist punching out of the ground. And I suppose it's meant to be phobias. What that's a phobia of, I'm leaving that out there for people to think about for themselves. <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to know. So it's sort of, I know it's in the mind and everything, but it's sort of, starts off in a i think it's it doesn't know quite whether it wants to be sci-fi whether it wants to be bio sci-fi what the hell it is and just but creating it in the mind gives you a carte blanche to just put any old shit in there really doesn't it Mm -hmm. which sort of ties into the whole frankenstein concept of this game really anyway so how does it play after all of that well the tour that you'll go on because you won't experience much of it without that well as, as i say without any of the cheats or anything else i didn't last longer than two seconds per life pretty much it's the simple thing here is it's too damn difficult. It's plain and simple, too hard. Difficulty setting for this game is off the chart crazy. Right from the get-go, your ship is underpowered compared to the sheer volume and frequency of the oncoming aliens, bullets, scenery, lines. You can zip about and you'll get so far, maybe, but the odds are so utterly against you, it's quite demoralizing. Add to that, when you die, you restart at the beginning of the planet, which is really stupid, and also a real pain in the ass. Now, I never actually got to a point when I started further in. Maybe you do, I don't know. I died that often. I kind of lost track. Now, don't get me wrong, right? These games should always be tough, I guess. You know, these kind of bullet hell games that come later are crazy difficult. You know, we we all know that. So, and they should all have things to shoot at. And this does. But if you're going to fill the screen with deadly everything, then you need to be able to power up quickly as the ship so you feel like you have a chance. That's how these games operate. So, the bigger the bullet hell game, the bigger your ship can become with all of the crazy that can, all these supersonic super weapons and everything else. And that's what, what makes those games, the balance, right? Yes, mm-hmm. there's a lot of bullets and stuff, but you've got a big, you know, lots of things you can do to ship. You don't get that with this. I did manage to get to the end boss of the first planet and beat that. That was without a sheep by a miracle. Wow, well done. Well done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It only happened <laughs> once. And, and and I went to the next stage on the, and I had one life left at this point and I lasted less than a second. It was like, dead, dead. I, didn't, <laughs> I, I barely blinked and saw that level. It took longer to load than I was actually on it, which just shows you how, how, how I was good. I have, to, I have to say, so like I said, I got that far. But after that, like Denmark's war with Tesco, I didn't last long. <laughs> um, as, <laughs> as a game, this has all the ingredients of something that could have been good. Nice look and feel on the whole. Simple logic, I suppose. In in sense, it's just a shoot up. Fast controls, reasonable sounds, half decent notion of where it's going. But what is the point in setting all that up to make it near impossible to get anywhere? Maybe that's just me. I'm cack-handed and my reaction times are rubbish. But out of the box, I don't think many people are making it through this game in five lives and in a single sitting. A pity, really, I think. I remembered this in the same breath as Io for a reason, and I was hoping this revisit would prove me wrong. Alas, it's as stupidly difficult as I remembered it. And so I bounced off it as I did before. It's phobia off for me. What about you? <laughs> yeah, it's just too bloody hard. It's just too, too bloody hard. There's way too, the, the, problem, the problems are manifold with this. Is there's way too little screen space to manoeuvre in. If you didn't die colliding with the landscape, that may be something to give you a chance. But there's so much so much that can kill you, whether it's the waves of enemies. Who's, what phobia is it where you've got a phobia of uh, attacks? <laughs> yeah, there is. There, they are in it, yeah. They, they look like attacks. What, what phobia is that? I don't believe there's a there's a phobia of that. And there's spiders and there's webs. You never get time to breathe. And although you pick up some power-ups, as you said, you're never more than a moment from death, whether from the hail of bullets or the spider webs that get hidden by the power-ups themselves so you can't see them. So you go to collect a power-up and it's over a spider web and you die. Or enemies, or the frequent slowdown when there's too much on screen. There's quite a lot of slowdown on this, I noticed. So the power-ups are all for nothing. I got a power-up where I was dropping, doing the uh, split shot. So I was firing straight forward and then dropping a sort of... Uh, a, a bomb straight from uh, Nemesis or Salamander. That's pretty much all I ever got. I guess the visuals are okay, but it's 
it's all too cluttered and busy, and so there's no thematic consistency. It's just, it just looks like it's it's we've used this before, but it's it's a Homer's web page of a shooter. Mm. You know, mm. it's that's what it looks like. There's no there's no consistency to anything. Those attack type things don't look. The spiders, the backgrounds look weird. Everything's just all over the place. Uh, I don't I don't like it. It feels too close in. The enemy bullets are far too big because they're character sized, and there's loads of them. Yeah. And they're, they're, they're just there's one point sort of thing. Where I had like six of them just homing in on me, and I was just stuck down the bottom. Just all of them, just everything fired at me at once. And like you're dead. Oh thanks. I do, I kind of want to like this because I do like my left to right scholars, but the balance against you is just so far off. And and this game, yes, they're supposed to be hard, but this really should have taken thing from the greats like Salamander, Armalite, R-Type, and things like that. Those games ease you in before breaking you yeah. with difficulty. You know, there's a, there's an in. You, you do those opening bits of Salamander, Nemesis, Armalite, you're out in space or whatever, and you're just shooting a few easy waves and you're getting some power-ups and you're starting to feel like, you know, well, this feels cool, I'm starting to feel powerful. And then it gets more difficult and more difficult. And that's how these this should go. It's not like... I've pressed start, you're dead. I've pressed start, you're dead. I've pressed start, you're dead. I never got through a level. Never. I think I might have got halfway through one. I don't know. It's <laughs> ridiculous. So, no. It's just, it's nobia, I think is what I'd say. Um, <laughs> nobia. Nobia. <laughs> it's, it's, it's nobia. <laughs> That's all I can say about this. But, strangely, not the most stupidly hard game we're going to play this week. No, no, it's not. It's not. It's a trend, isn't it? There's always a freakish trend in July. Yeah, some, some. Um, it's the heat. The heat gets to people and makes them feel that way. But yeah, no, phobia is no bio. It's just too hard. It's just too stupidly yeah. hard. And the other thing is as well, I would say at this point, you might go, oh yeah, but you know, they're still learning crafts. And, and, and I'm not knocking Crowther's coding chops. He's clearly very, very yeah. talented at coding. Not yeah, only that. But from a game design point of view, it's rubbish. Because and there's mm. no excuse for it. Because by this point, we've had our type. We've Nemesis, Salamander, they've been in the arcades for ages. Everybody's yeah. played these damn things by now. Everyone knows how yeah. to make a left-to-right squadron shooter. They do. These things are, are well and truly sort of cemented as to how to come at these. So there's no excuse for just going, nope. bleh, at the player. No. The rules are the rules for a reason. Yeah. Goodness, and the, the, Mr. Crowther, goodness. And by 1989, <laughs> and it's a bit disappointing yeah. as well, because um, when you look at Bish and, uh, Bish and Rats, other titles, you know, Bomboozle and, and mm. uh, Fernandez, Fernandez Must, must Die, die. Yeah, you look at those two and they do actually show some really clever sort of game design and some good thought yeah. and really clever. This just throws it all out the window. Maybe it's that other guy who came in and not Bish and Rat. Who was the other guy who came on board with this one? What was his name? Yeah, what was his name? Maybe it's his fault, yeah. It's um, his fault, let's blame him. John Cook. Yeah, it's him. Might be him. Yeah, it's your fault, Cookie. <laughs> <laughs> Oi, Cookie. Oi, Cookie. Nobby her off. <laughs> <laughs> Don't make your game so stupidly hard, Cookie. Yeah, Cookie. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, there we go. Phobia. Too hard. Let's move along. See if our next game is any better. God. Street cred boxing. This bloody thing. (laughs) This is from Players Premier. Street cred boxing. Uh, This is the initial title from Players Premier. (laughs) Princely sum of £2.99. Street cred boxing. Yeah. Before we get to the game, though, before we just get into the game, I just want to read you what he said in the inlay for the game about this new Players Premier range of software. Okay. okay. Interceptor Limited. I didn't know players were part of Interceptor. Interceptor okay. Limited are proud to announce the launch of a brand new software publishing label, Players Premier. Premier Ooh. will be releasing superior quality 8-bit software at the budget price mm. of two ninety nine. All Premier products will be especially written for the label. No re-releases guaranteed. Using the same production staff responsible for 
for the budget smashes Joe Blade and Joe Blade 2, as well as the 16-bit number one Gal Dragon's Domain, Premiere promises to be the budget event of the year. (laughs) That's quite the claim. See, it's very, it's a big claim, and especially on this box. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, deluded. Yes. I reckon they wrote that, and then they got this game, and they went, oh, we're so crap. Call the courier, bring it back. Oh, too late. It's oh, already well. printed. Because the cover makes no sense either. We'll come to the cover in a bit. <laughs> after this, then, I think we need to revisit this. So after we, we'll look at that, and then we'll see, did they meet those lofty goals? Was that mission statement met? So this is from Ian and Mick. Ian oh, and Mick, them okay. there that did that Soldier of Light and other stuff and demos oh. and things, Ian and Mick. Okay. Them in it, them two. This, this is copyright WoW Design and Reptilia Software, coded by Ian and Michael Jones. Graphics by Robert Whittaker and music by the Maniacs of Noise. In this mm. instance, it's down as Johannes Bieregaard. Yes, very good composer. Sadly passed away now. He has, yes, and that's very sad. Um, and it's good music, but that's about it. There's a story of sorts. Joe Labrinsky's famous Lower East Side <laughs> boxing gym is under threat. He needs $50,000 to save the building from a consortium of evil yuppie executives. It's up Damn to them. you and your fellow East Side buddies to go up against the yuppies Tough West Side Fighters. Oh, dear me. The tagline for this reads, A fight for the right to fight. <laughs> it's like a shit Beastie Boys lyric. <laughs> it is. Yeah, these aren't the Beastie Boys, are they? These are the, these are the East Side Relatively boys. beastly people or something. Yeah, this... you got to fight for the right to fight. To no. fight. <laughs> no, change that. It doesn't work. <laughs> it's just rubbish. Change it, please. Okay. So when the, when the first part of this game loads, because, yeah, it's a multi-load as well. That's the premiere you're Saints playing for. preservers. <laughs> you're straight in. You're just straight in. There's no menu. There's just an no. instruction at the bottom to press fire. So and uh, I've got to just describe what goes on. At the top of the screen is one of your perspective. You've no idea about this because uh, there's instructions are rubbish, but there's one of your perspective six boxes, so side on facing a punching bag, you know, sort of seen from the waist up. Um, after pressing fire, you've got a waggle for all you're worth to get your glove bar at the bottom to the yellow gloves. Mm. That's what you've got to do. Do this and you have one life for the oncoming fighting parts. You've got to do this six times. If you fail, then you have one less life. If you manage to get them all through, you gain extra lives for the subsequent section. So you can have up to six lives. And that's basically all you've got to do at this point. There's a really annoying sort of scrolling message goes through. The UI at the bottom is odd. There's a timer in the middle that counts down from 10 each time you're waggling. It's a massive timer on a clock. It's on a countdown yeah. watch or something. Isn't it? Um, on either side of this are a strip of faces <laughs> with angry ones on the right and smiling ones on the left, three on each side. Weird, seeing as you're going to get six lives. And I don't know why. It's just the same. It's just dead weird. I don't know what Strange. what it is. I think this is supposed to represent your boxes and the enemies because there's six under the enemies and not under yours, and then it counts up. I think that's what it's supposed to be. There's also a score for some reason that goes up with the amount of punches you manage to get in via the power of your waggle. Mm. Why? Waggle punch. Waggle yeah, punch. No one. You put you're just trying to make your lives through. It's just what is it? I don't know. Stupid. The graphics of the top half of your boxer are at this point, they are actually quite good. I will yeah, give yeah. it at this quite point, possible. it does yeah. actually look good. It's a well-proportioned boxer smacking away yeah. at the punch bag. There's some nice shading and animation. It's all very smooth as you're wagging away. And that's all right, it looks okay. There's only one boxer though, so it's just the same boxer boxing every time, which is a bit weird. Mm, that is strange. So it would have been nice to see say it maybe a variety of different types, but you know, hey ho, it's just the boxer mm. punching away. Uh, and the music here is also pretty good. It's not one of Maniacs and Noise best, but it's it's okay. It's still pretty good. It's a bit Possible. bouncy and Possible, it's all right. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's good. Like I said, there's also a scrolling message, which annoyed me because it's got loads of spelling errors. Oh, God, don't. <laughs> it's so bad. <laughs> it's just terrible. Anyway, should you get your boxes through, then you'll endure the slow load, the loading for the second section based in mm. the gym. So when the load ends, you're once again straight into the game. And here, things take a turn for the worse. Don't they just... So at this point, the story goes that the the gym has closed up for the night and Joe Labrinsky has asked you to close up. And so you and the rest of your East Side crew are left in the gym and then the West Side crew turn up and it's time for boxing. Um, mm. I'd have preferred this. It went sort of dancing. I'd have preferred like, you know, West Side Story type thing, but, you know, it would have made more sense. Would have made more sense. So the top and bottom borders are used for the UI. So at the top, we have a green and yellow bar representing the health of the on-screen fighters. At the bottom, we have two fighters with numbers next to them. And these are the numbers number of fighters left for each team. In the center of the bottom border, we have the word Premier for some reason. <laughs> I guess players premier. I understand, but they couldn't fit in the word players. It just says premier. Yeah. Just premier. Dumb. And the rest of the screen has a gym in shades of blue and grey that takes up the whole of the screen and scrolls in either direction slightly. Across the centre part of this screen, our two fighters square off against each other. So you control a fighter in yellow pants and the enemy are in green pants. Okay. That's how and you know. Also, yeah. Well, well, it's also worth noting at this point, I'm just going to, we, we sort of, you can see this and it's like a subconscious bias kind of thing or whatever. I don't know. Your team is made up of white people. The enemy team are all black guys. You know, yeah. All of I them. that. Not, so. Not good. It's not. I mean, it's one of them things. But and it's just when you play it and you look at it and you go, like I was saying earlier on, there could have been, you could have been many different fights of many different colours on been. each side, and it wouldn't have mattered. But it's not. It's one sprite for each, and that's what's represented down the bottom as well for the enemy sprite. So I'll say no more of it. But it could have been mixed up, and it should have been really. Um, it also seems that both boxers are wearing a mask for some reason. Yeah, I don't. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I would have you know maybe that's the mask from that front maybe it's like comedy and tragedy I don't know controls uh, are left and right to walk in that direction is up for jump or you can sort of do a diagonal jump you can switch direction with fire in the opposite direction if you do fire and the direction towards your enemy you do a body blow if you do fire and top diagonal towards your enemy you do a high punch that's it <laughs> that's your fire you need any others Two moves, a body blow and a head punch. That's all you can do. Yeah, yeah. That's it. You hold down fire. And you can just hold down fire and just push to the right or left. It'll just, yeah. it'll like machine gun moves. As you go, it's just Stupid. ridiculous. Uh, and you just watch health bars go down. There's no strategy to this. It's just dreadful. When you knock out one of the enemies, it cuts to a boring message telling you something about the next boxer. And then you repeat <laughs> this boring exercise for a game. It's like, yeah. you better watch out for this one. He's a bit man, man, man. It's like, man, yeah. it's like, oh. Get oh, just stop. When you die, don't you just a just a new fighter and you lose a life and just a new fighter suddenly appears. And the graphics they're not terrible. The gym is okay to kind of recognise away, but and the the fighters they're they're not. They're just there. They're just a bit blocky and stuff. I don't know why they're wearing masks, but you know the comparable representation is dubious. But the game itself, the fighting in this, it's risible. It's yeah. one of the worst I've seen. Yeah. I mean, and I'm going to bring up the cover because the cover of this game, you can go have a look at it. But the cover of this game shows a black boxer in boxing shorts waiting to fight in a ring. But the game has no fighting in a standard boxing ring, nor do you play as a no. black fighter. So I can only presume that this is another one of those cases where that cover has been sent off and then the game turned up. <laughs> yes. You're like street cred boxing yeah, and yo, yeah. you're sort of fighting to protect this gym. All oh, right, I can see that, yeah. And you know, we've got black and white boxers. Yeah. Oh, that sounds cool. Yeah, I'll do this. And then, all oh, right, uh, okay. Mm. Should you get through the gym, then you head out to the streets and you do more fighting. It's the same kind of visual look. It's not very pretty and so finally if you finally get through all this i didn't but if you finally do get to the end of this game you fight a giant <laughs> for some reason 
course you do. <laughs> what is you this mean, game? You mean you've never had to do that? <laughs> <laughs> I can only assume either that or you're all you're all dwarfs and you're fight. You know, you're just fighting a regular size, a, a, a normal size, you know, adult. I don't know. I don't understand. I don't understand this game. It's rubbish. It's dreadful. It's dreadful by the music. It's dreadful on everything. So, so there's the gameplay is rubbish. This is just dreadful. Players, remember what was the, what did they say? The budget event of the year. Graham, would you say that this is the budget event of the year? Uh, I wouldn't say that. No. <laughs> would you sort of ring up HR and say we need to talk to these because uh, I think they need to put on performance review? Yeah, I'd be saying that. <laughs> yeah, I think so. This is dreadful. It's a, it's a shocking. It's a shocking game. It's dreadful. It's a boxing game. It's awful. As a fighting game, it's down there with Ninja Hamster for me. I thought this was utterly, utterly dreadful. Twenty odd percent it got. That's oof, way too high. Twenty. It's really rubbish. Street yeah. cred boxing. Crap. Just dreadful for every angle. <laughs> <laughs> I hated this. Awful. What did you think? Street crap boxing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Waggle to punch, uh, punch back repeatedly. That isn't any fun at all and exhausting. No. And he kept stopping when I was waggling mid yeah. power waggle. Yeah, he did. Yeah. For no reason. I'm like, what are you doing? It felt like it just was trying to stop me and make the game more interesting when it wasn't. Graphics were nice for that bit, but it was stupid. Then the game began. <laughs> I mean, what what on earth is this? Badly realized fighting game set in a badly drawn gym with giant boxes in crazy yellow and green pants. Really overly dithered backgrounds. The dithering was off the chart. <laughs> Weird, silly, fast animated stuff and no real actual fighting of any kind. Just move left and right and throw flurries of punches until you win or don't. Yeah. Uh, why is this set in a gym with a boxing ring when the fight is outside the ring and call it street cred boxing? It's nothing to do with boxing. No, it's not. <laughs> nothing. Nothing. Why is this called street cred? Where do you earn cred? How do you earn cred? <laughs> what do they mean? When fighting outside of a ring for semi-professional professional boxers, it's a massive no-no. So what are they really portraying here? Gang uh-huh. fights in a gym. Yeah. Boxing is a professional sport. It is not some kind of dust up in a gym. No. Nor should this be presenting it as that, as some kind of gang related thing. The whole point of gyms and boxing in many, many situations and many, many places is that they are the one place there people who would otherwise may get into trouble in gangs and things like that. Go to those gyms to avoid being part of gangs and to avoid getting into gang related fights, however yellow panty, green panty they may be. (laughs) To position this game in a world where that is not the case, it's not only stupid, but also a little bit counterproductive in a game. So really, this game features no streets, no cred, and no boxing. What is it? <laughs> it's just rubbish, isn't it? It's just absolute rubbish. It's the worst thing Ian Mick have ever done. This is not them on a good day. Even the little bits that, like, like when you when you beat the box and you get that next scrolling message, it's not a big scroll, is it? No. It's like one large character width, and it's, about, it's hard to read because it's like maybe six characters wide. You're like, why do that? Don't Why know. have you done that? Why? And it's sort of trying to set the parameters of the game in a boxing way, but it's nothing to do with that. It's no boxing, there's no skill involved. In what's the point of that punch bag thing to just gain lives? Why have that in it at all? I mean, what's the point? Don't know. It's just it, it's just 26%. It was way too high for this. It's just crap. This is your flagship game for your new label. God help you. God help <laughs> you. This is crapola. Yeah. Absolutely. It's awful. It's the worst bloody game of this type in a in a sort of a in in the kind of I, the kind of idea of this game that they're aiming for it's the worst one of those budget games okay but no 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 just this, this is just shocking we haven't had a real budget crapola disaster for a while this is re- this really has landed hasn't it <laughs> honestly no players, no 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 it's a players premiere has landed no they've put street cred boxing and they've put the you know the, the iconography on the front of the cover because they know somebody will pay 2.99 for that 
that's called exploitation, if you ask me. Yeah. I suspect boxers and anything to do with boxing would have had very little time for anyone who went into the gym and went, I bought this game, check this out. You're going to get punched smooth by the nearest <laughs> boxer. Don't do that. So, no, I hated this. And so will every other boxing and sports personality, sports person, anyone that likes boxing in any way, shape or form, would never ever acknowledge this thing exists. And so no. I shall no longer talk about it. It's assholes. Yes. Yes, it is. Dreadful, awful game. Let's move along quickly because street cred boxing deserves no more of our time. And Graham, <laughs> if phobia wasn't hard enough for you, it's time for you to get on with some Navy moves. I know. I got all the game bastards didn't I, this week. Wow. <laughs> you're, not, you're not wrong. This is Navy moves, of course. I guess it's a sequel to Army moves. I guess we're just going through the various just military going the fa- moves. You know. Going for the moves, yeah. Dance moves will be next. Nine ninety five. This was sixty two percent. Ooh, uh, it was published by Dynamic, coded by Luis Mariano Garcia. Graphics are by Jorge Haspiri, and the title screen was Roberto Herrera. <laughs> <laughs> and the musician was Jerome Tell. All right, oh. all right. Or oh, the main acts of noise, Jerome Tell, main acts noise, yeah, mm. whatever. So again, we have a game, and we've got some controls, some descriptions. We've got a little. There's a little bit of blurb for this. It says. Message for commando number 787-4403-HZ. That's you, Adrian. Oh, right, okay. No, that's your, that's your name. I've just decided that's you. Description of the terrain. The commando is informed of the probable zones of the mission. I'm not sure. Uh, there may be language issues and I translation think issues. I think there's a translation, yeah. Anyway, mission. Locate and destroy the nuclear submarine U-5444, equipped with radar homing torpedoes. The key name of the mission is Operation Octopus. Not on the title screen, it's not. <laughs> no, it's not. But that doesn't matter. Just, you know, just put that to one side. Just park that. <laughs> uh, what is it with stupidly difficult games this week? I mean, that's that's essentially the premise. I'll actually describe the premise as we go through the game as such. Yeah, go on. Are your armies tired, Adrian? Well, stop waving them around. <laughs> so yeah, so this is uh, this is Get the out. army inst- the ar- <laughs> instead of the army and their movements, we now have the navy and their movements. Exciting, mm. isn't it? Navy moves. Woo! There are two main parts of this game. The first part consists of some impossible zones and phases to repeatedly die in. Yeah. Zone one on the sea surface, which is a single phase. Zone two below the surface, which is in two phases. Uh-huh. And zone three in the bathyscaphe. Uh, which is a posh name for a kind of mini sub, which is a single phase again. And then there is the second part, which is inside the submarine. Are we all clear on the phases? Mm-hmm. Good. And so the game then, a stirring, sample-filled, thumpy sit tune from the Maniacs and always welcomes you on the title screen, as well as the game logo, the Operation Operation Cephalopod, which is an animated octopus. And mm-hmm. then the credits, that's all that's on the screen. You press the fire button to start. Quite a simple title screen, actually. So, um, And apparently I read somewhere that the cover for this, which is that kind of guy, the famous guy, Navy guy, Apparently modelled on Schwarzenegger yeah, or something, Danny. so I read. Yeah, yeah. yeah so it's, it's, I get all that. But that's kind of the actual, some of the graphics and those presentations, I'll come up, come to all of that. So on the sea surface then, which is, has one phase, there's some nice parallax scrolling and scenery and a wave effect on this with your six speed. I saw that for a moment. <laughs> oh yeah, you, you want to see, you know, enjoy it for a moment. It's, the tour, it's like a tour again. Um, so enjoy the parallax scrolling and the wave effect for all of a second. On board your six-speed aquatic GPX Suzuki with a bicyndrillic DOHC motor. Bobbing on top of those waters. I hope you enjoyed that. Mm, top two-thirds is the game. Nice colours and rendering, what you'll see of it. This looks nice, actually, for a blink of an eye. The lower third is the UI with some grumpy-looking diver. It looks good, though. And some live score, distance, radar graphics, too. They all look nicely shaded and drawn for the second I saw them. <laughs> you move your six-speed aquatic GPX Suzuki with bicylindrical DOHC motor with the joystick left and right up directions to jump, move around in the air, and fire shoots. You can also press down to duck and left and right, 
with the fire button to shoot left and right. If you want to do that, you need to do that, but it won't help you. No. The first sequence is to jump over the SSEX, the Sex 12 Mines. Sounds delightfully decadent. It's not. (laughs) The strategic place will annoy the shit out of you and will kill you very quickly. You essentially need to jump at the right timing, which is a pain. And when it's just kind of a muscle memory game at this point, get past them and you'll see a, a buoy. And that means if you die, you'll at least start from the buoy. Okay. Then enemy boats will attack you from the ocean right and they'll be dead. And so you'll go back to the beginning again, right at the start. You'll be like, ah. Oh. Anyway, shoot and jump over those. You get some more mines under the buoy. And then you get some boats as well as mines. It's all not easy to navigate. You will not make it. I'm just telling you this now. No, you the won't. odds are against you, massively against you. It's so stupidly hard. You'll get three. I think you get five lives. I think but you'll be through them in, in mere moments. You keep on trucking. Maybe you'll get there. I mean, you know, there is a rhythm to it. You do get into the rhythm of it, trying to, because they position the mines. So you have to try and bounce your boat over one mine and then over another one and then jump over a couple. And there is a rhythm to it. Maybe you'll get it over time if you just keep practicing, but it's got that annoy the shit out of your kind of quality, which will eventually get to you. It will. So if you do get to the right zone and get through all of that, then you dive off the boat and it's the next phase below the surface. There's two phases for this zone. Mm. It's more of a side-scrolling shooter type vibe, this. You're a diver swimming from left to right. The background is now more of an ocean surface at the top, dark depths in the middle, and seabed or reef type detail at the bottom of the play area. Graphics are pretty nice. Below is the same UI that you had before. You control your diver sprite, which is not badly designed or animated, but you won't see it for long, so enjoy it while you can. (laughs) And you have to navigate the shark-infested waters, shooting them with your harpoon gun, which ends with their bloody demise, which is a little bit of a nasty detail, I thought. Maybe we didn't need to see quite so many sharks bleeding to death (laughs) in a game, but hey-ho. You shoot them with your harpoon, and obviously you've got to try and get to the end. Phase two is more of a narrow ocean passage in which you need to navigate. This time, enemy divers and subs will try and kill you, which you have to try and avoid. You won't. Just put it, <laughs> no, put it to you now. You won't. I'm, now, I had to use a trainer mode to try and at least see some of this, and even that was impossible. So yeah. I actually have viewed some of this on a YouTube video. It's the only way I could do it. So I'm sorry to say the game beat me in every way that it could. Uh, that isn't my bad, I have to say. In the Bathyscaphe, um, which I think is how you say that, B-A-T-H-Y-S-C-A-P-H-E. So is that bath- Bathyscaphe? Anyway, Bathyscaphe was a place we used to go swimming in, Grimsby, wasn't it? Anyway. <laughs> the, uh, um, so you're inside the bath- version, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. The bath- bath- anyway, by the way, in case you're wondering what it is, it's a self-propelled vehicle used for deep sea dives. Bathyscaphes can dive deeper than a person with scuba gear and even deeper than submarines. Design features reveal that the Bathyscaphe was engineered with one goal in mind, to reach the deepest depths of the ocean. That's from the Wikipedia all about. Go and explore mm-hmm. that at your leisure. So this is more of a left to right floating and shooting. You get attacked by giant octopuses over and over again, which are really hard to kill. I know I can't imagine that anyone would get through this because it's borderline impossible. But you've got to shoot all the various octopi. Um, your mini sub is equipped with more weaponry this time, two slightly larger sort of rockets that you can fire. And you can apparently you can do fire more of them on one or two at the same time. I've no idea how you do that. You get attacked in the end as well of this by a giant eel, like it wasn't hard enough to get there, um, which takes ages to kill by the look of it. And then after that, you gradually get to the submarine and then you sort of dock with the submarine and then it's over to loads part two in, which is inside the submarine. Ooh. Now this, if it wasn't challenging enough, right, to get to this bit, Mm-hmm. The next bit crazy. Mm-hmm. So the idea of this, so the mission here is to set a bomb at the base of the reactor of the submarine and escape alive. In order to escape, you will have to stop the submarine, make it emerge, and transmit the key message to your base. To perform any function, you have to connect with the central computer of the submarine through any of the terminals within. You also need to know the identification code of the official in charge of the area related to the order you want to send. Example, to open the door to the base of the reactor, you must obtain the machine official's code and then transmit the order to the central computer. There's a word for that. Impossible. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely 
impossible. So here we take on a more multi-platform, flick screen, kind of green beret-ish type notion, I guess, in a way. We have a new way of playing. You control your Navy SEAL, but this time running around the various decks of the submarine, shooting the crew will attack you and run around helplessly. There's no rhyme or reason for the way they're patrolling this submarine. They're just kind of running around. You must also navigate a series of lifts and doorways as you try to complete the mission. It's not going to be easy, I tell you that. Nope. Top two thirds of it this time is the submarine background and detail with you controlling your, I suppose, decent sprite. The bottom is the UI detailing weapons, lives, explosive countdown, and all the info you need, but you're never going to be able to get to. It all nope. looks okay too. Well-realized details for what it is and some nice sound effects as you scoot about. I quite like the way you shot in this, the kind of the oozy sound, quite a nice short burst of gunpowder it was quite that the way it sort of played it was quite nice in that bit the flick screen was rapid and there's loads of enemies of course making this very difficult at best you need to find certain people to get the codes as well which are impossibly difficult to navigate and find there's a lot of exploration in this none of which is straightforward there's no kind of map to give you an indication and even if you do set the bomb you've got to do all the other stuff and then get off as well get out the ship the chance of you doing that I would say are probably astronomical, if not impossible, even with a cheat code. Mm -hmm. So all of this then, I mean, throughout the game, the graphics are actually, they are well realized. What you'll see of them, the graphics yeah. are good mm -hmm. and the sound is good. The music's good. The sound's good. The vibe of the game is good. The vibe. If only the game was just a vibe. Unfortunately, there's bones of a good game in here, I suppose, with the sprites and all of those and, and some playable parts, I guess, if you could get to them, but you never will because it's just next to impossible. Even with cheat codes, this game would be, I would argue, impossible. There is an ending to this, by the way, which is a ridiculous, boobilicious ending where you're on a desert island with some natives dancing with their boobs hanging out. <laughs> I suppose that's a joke at the time. Maybe it was, you know, your what hard you slog at least got you to that at the end with some really weird sort of Hawaii music playing. Anyway, I, I guess I, what I can say is I liked what I played, but it wasn't much of this because I thought, it had, had they eased the difficulty down and just made it a little bit more mission-based exploratory and less just sort of crazy punishing, you could have had a really good little game in your hands here where you had to just do these secret little missions, like a little mini C64 version of Saboteur, Navy, Navy SEALs version of Saboteur. It would have really worked as well had they just thought about toning down the difficulty but they didn't so without game trainers and without cheats this would be impossible i can't see anybody being able to do it i barely made it off the first series of jumps and i mean by a miracle i made it to the, i think the third stage of that it's just it's too too much too punishing by far great music and sounds all for nothing really i mean i really love the maniacs noise all of that flows well there's a reasonably simple story arc to this as well. And the part two part is quite interesting. It's a good follow-on from what you need to do in part one, which is find somewhere to go in, get, infiltrate the submarine, do all that. They're all great ideas, but in a game that is impossible, what a shame. This isn't a terrible game. There's a lot of things to commend. It's got a solid design, straightforward premise, good graphics on the whole, excellent sound, loading times weren't terrible. They're all great things, but the difficulty means that you will never experience in them. And that means it's such a great shame because those difficulty spikes and all of that making it more impossible than phobia. And that takes some bloody doing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, a, a potential for a really good, interesting exploration stroke sort of infiltration game just becomes a, a, a test of your patience for how long you can repeatedly hit a, a mine in a boat before you go for a game of soldiers. <laughs> so I didn't, uh, I thought this had all the, all the, all the vibe, but unfortunately wrapped in something that was just disgustingly hard and, well, you're going to bounce off that I did. So, but did you find the same? Are you a Navy SEAL or are you a Navy Dolphin? <laughs> like a Navy Penguin. <laughs> I mean, as if, like, like you said, game over, one and two, army moves, all those kind of things we've had in this mold. You thought, well, they were a bit easy. <laughs> Walk through there. Well, here's Navy moves to prove that things can only get worse. This is. I mean, cut and paste phobia in here. This is stupidly hard and unfair. Just about every single level from 
And I get what you're saying, uh, but the, but there's problems in every every section. The mines need pixel precision to jump over. Like you'll clip them, boom, done, down to the beginning. That just it's just stupid. The sharks, the sharks bit made me laugh because if they manage to turn around, then they follow you pixel perfect just above the line where you can shoot them. So you can't shoot them when they're heading towards you. Who thought that was a good idea? So you have to fire and then move down to bring them into line with your shot. That's that's stupid. That's just that's just ridiculous. And it goes on like this. The see the thingies are like that. The um the divers in the next bit they do exactly the same. The trying to kill because I, I I level skipped through it just to try the levels because I couldn't get through any. But I thought I'll give them a go. I just level skipped through them and I tried the uh, bit where you have to shoot the uh, octopus. I shot it at my fire button. I was hitting that fire button as hard as I could. I hit it as many times as I could. Didn't do anything and they just crushed me. What am I supposed to do? And that's the problem with this. It does look okay. The graphics are very nice. There's some nice shading. There's some nice backgrounds, some nice animations, some nice sprites. The sea looks good. All that's great. You know, the sound is nice and all that sort of thing. But it's so badly designed that it's all utterly pointless. There's no, there's the problem is with this game is there's no fun or enjoyment to be had at all because it's crushed out of you by the difficulty fist. And, and I can't see any evidence. I mean, there's some, you know, like you said, if you, if someone pitched this at you and go, yeah, you have to sort of, you know, put your boat in and then you sort of swim in under underwater and you go through this thing and you're dodging sharks and then dodging some undercreased and there's a couple of big monsters you got to shoot mm. and you get through and you're like, that sounds cool. Yeah, that sounds all right. So if you've done that, yeah, we have. And you play it like, what have you done? <laughs> what, <laughs> what have you done? If this was one of my series, I'd be like, no, 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 no. Just, it's too hard. It's yeah, just yeah. too stupid. Yeah, but we've got to have a challenge. There's challenge and then there's this. It's board for me. This was borderline unplayable, and so there's just a lot of nice sprites and stuff, and some backgrounds, some music in a, in an unplayable game because I just don't think it's possible. And, and I tried, I tried, I tried, I tried every bit, multiple times. Nah, not for me. This too hard. I did play the um, Spanish version as well. I think I uploaded the Spanish version by one point. I think, and it's called Operation Cephalopodo. All right, okay. <laughs> it's easier. No, no. It's exactly the same <laughs> stupid yard. Uh, there you go. Navy moves. Well. That's it. That's it for this half. That's, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I feel like I've been punished. I feel like I've done something wrong <laughs> sometime and we've had to play these three. Just, just, no, I can't be doing with it. We're going to go take a quick break because I think we need one after those three. And we're going to come back and we are going to look at music, albums and singles from July 1989. Oh God, I need, a, I need an aspirin or something. See you in a moment. And after all those games, we're back. Hopefully some music will bring us round to a more normal state of affairs. Let's get into some singles for July 1989. First two weeks, it's still hanging around. It's back to life. However do you want me? By Soul yeah. to Soul. Back. Funny enough, I, was, I had that on the radio today, actually. It was on um, Absolute 80s. It is a good track. It is, but it's you know we've talked about it loads. It won't go yeah, away. Yeah, so. yeah. For the next two weeks, you'll never stop me from loving you. <laughs> Um, and the single was, uh, <laughs> sorry, that was from Sonia. That was by Sonia for two weeks. You'll never stop me from loving you. Yeah, <laughs> This is not good. I thought you really liked it. <laughs> no, I wanted to know why in the video she's so happy to get his sweaty towel. Well, I've got a theory about that. Go on, um, go on. So, I mean, this was, this was obviously... It was obviously a Kylie song that never made the cut, wasn't it? I mean, it's clear. It sounds exactly like everything. Well, I say that, but it could. it's any other stock and woman song in it. Yeah. Robotropic pop sputum, I've called it. <laughs> you did. I saw that. Um, now, she wasn't a bad singer, and she's not no. the classic arch type either, is she? She's kind of a bit of a frog mella. She's No, but, you know, happy enough. This was her only number one UK, um, number one in the UK. 
but the video is just a, a massive dumb fuck about in it like you said i don't know why she's that happy but my theory is this now the lyrics they clearly i mean there's a theory about this it's um it's like a conspiracy theory but they do paint the obsessed stalker vibe don't they never stop me from loving you even if you didn't even if you yeah, blah 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 yeah. and all the rest of it so it maybe is the song of a stalker. Maybe that's why she keeps his towel, because like she keeps that with the other things she's collected, samples of his hairs, one of his socks, a toenail, <laughs> or maybe or something like that. And by so the way, I, like I noticed it. he was doing his like stretches, his aerobic stretches on the piano. Let me tell you, if he did that on my piano, I'd kick him so hard in his B flats, it'd bloody emit a high F. That's a musical <laughs> joke you can take home to the kids. <laughs> it honestly, it'd ping, it'd ping loudly, it'd be bang. Absolutely. <laughs> All me sharps, all me sharps, me sharps are black. (laughs) Oh, right, me banjo string. (laughs) He would snap his G-string there. (laughs) That's that's how you stop him from loving you, I guess. Yeah. Did you know? By the way, did you know how Sonia was discovered? She just she basically went to where they were recording songs and just sang at them, just sang at them, and just got in his face and sort of you know made her presence felt. And they ended up putting her on some kind of sort of wannabe stuck in a woman type tour when she proved to be quite popular so she just kind of forced her way into their lives well done well done sonia yeah exactly, fair play yeah. to that girl um for well the done. final well week done, of the month yeah. you could have swung swing you could swing the mood by Oof. jive bunny and the mix master mixers oh, uh, let's not I talk about it. this i hate it <laughs> it's awful i mean i like i like cut and paste sample stuff i like that but not this i can't no. i can't extend myself to this it's it's horrible it's horrible. Andy and John Pickles climb back in the jar. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. You need you're not done. No. It's it's really, this is just another example of like of England and its stupidity when it comes to singles. Yeah. We just every now and again we just lose our collective brains over some crap and everyone buys it. I know, and I've got I've got a like a, a circuit rhythm which is an ovation circuit rhythm, which is a, like a mini sampler sequencer. I could rearrange that track in about a minute. It takes no skill to do what they've done. Maybe it did at the time. Maybe I don't know. But Maybe just make having a button that goes, "Come on, everybody! C- c- come on, everybody!" Don't don't do it. <laughs> I, I actually did a remix, by the way. Then oh, I did. noticed. <laughs> anyway, that's enough of that. Stop. Jack Bunny must be no more. No more. <laughs> Number one albums uh, for the first week. It was Velveteen from Transvision Vamp. We'll talk oh, about yeah. that a little bit later talk down the way. A bit, yeah. In a wee um, while there. Club Classics, uh, for next week, we had Club Classics Volume 1, Soul to Soul. We're back in. And we're back in, the big end. The back back to life. Uh-huh. I might say. Also, also back in next week for two weeks uh, is A New Flame by Simply Red. <laughs> <laughs> the bread must be stale by now, Adrian. It must be stale. <laughs> yeah. But it is being heated by A New Flame. Surely it will soon be toast. <laughs> Yes, dirty bad taste that was buttered badly and dropped on a floor that had not been oovered and had loads of dog hair and crud in it from crust to crust. Dirty, yeah, what, simply red. What we call, oh, my toast has gone all hooknell. Yeah, it's, the toast has gone full hooknell. You can't blow it and eat it on that. You can't go, it's the five-second rule is defeated by the hooknell quotient. It's not it possible. It's not possible. It's not possible. And for the final week, it cuts both ways by Glory Restefan. <laughs> Be gone. Is that a two, two-sided knife? <laughs> it's a song about swords. Yeah. Cuts both ways. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's get <laughs> some singles. 2nd July, in at number five, It's All Right by the Pet Shop Boys. Um, I mean, the, the obvious joke here is, it's all right. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, maybe you like it. I thought they had a, the sentiment was there, wasn't it? With, 
lots of baby hugging and what about the trees? You know, give a hoot, don't pollute, <laughs> save the bees and all that. Yeah. But it was a bit trite. And and now I did notice, and in all fairness, in all fairness to them, that Stock Aiken and Walkman have clearly ripped and nicked the Pet Shop Boys sound because the first time I've ever noticed it, and I know, I know it's not the other way around. I know that Pet Shop Boys have had this kind of sound for some time mm. based on the kind of synths and equipment they use. Um, so, But it, it's sounding trite now. I think not on the fault of the Pet Shop Boys. Now, I don't really like them, but Stucky could want to nick their kind of vibe and overused it so much that this actually sounds like a derivative of them, which is kind of terrible. So now... It's not. It's all right, but it's not all right for them. I feel that they're probably <laughs> looking at Stock Aiken and Walkman and going, neutralize them, all of them. Leave no marks, <laughs> Boris. <laughs> Grease them, no mess. Um, <laughs> in at number 18 is Ain't Nobody, 1989 by Rufus and Shaka Khan. Yes. Ain't Shaka nobody, let me bear. So this, I know it's not your, I know it's not necessarily your vibe, this, it's maybe okay. not. It's okay. However, this is the remix, and it's not clear which one because two came out that year. There's, there's Ain't Nobody the Rufus 89 remix, and there's Ain't Nobody the Frankie Knuckles remix. I think this is probably the Frankie Knuckles one. I don't know. For sure. But it's by Rufus and Chaka Khan. Surely this is the Rufus one. I would imagine it is, but the original was by Rufus. So who knows? Oh, I don't know. Who knows? Oh. Anyway, um, this is the, you know, this, for me, this is a very important track for a number of reasons. Firstly, it's just, it's brilliant. Secondly, it's the first track that ever used the Lin LM1 Lin drum, which is a really famous drum machine, like like famous drum machine, like crazy famous. So it has that a very unique sound. It's nothing else sounded like it at the time, and it had a lot of brilliant ways of being able to do sequencing on it. This track is brilliant. I think it's one of the greatest songs of the 80s. Um, I think the, the production, it's Quincy Jones, isn't it? The production is just fabulous. It's just, it's beautiful. And her vocal is just stunning stuff. Um, so I think it's great. It still remains one of my favorite sort of tracks of that time. And it, you know, whenever it's on and, and I'm listening to it, it, gives me the kind of goosebumps. I love it. It's just such a brilliant track. Brilliant, brilliant track. Yeah, it's okay. That's yeah, good. Good. It's all right. Um, it's all right. <laughs> Quote the Pet Shop Boys. All right. Number 33, Say No Go by De La Soul. Classic De La Soul stuff, this really. I actually have a lot of fond memories of this particular De La Soul track because it's a very good one. I remember Gary playing it a lot, but that's not saying anything because it could have been one of any 9,000 tracks that he brought around on these little yellow tapes that he had <laughs> yeah. that he never bloody labelled. So only he knew what was on them. So he'd like, what's this? And so you have to, you had to be there to listen to it or you'd never know what you were listening to. Well, if he did label them, you couldn't read his handwriting. So No, he, he didn't write with pens though, did he? He wrote with his tongue. <laughs> um, he, he, it's a very unique skill. He had an ink, an ink tongue where he could just emit sharp parts of ink still, from his he, he tongue. Still, he still used his fingers. So it was a weird <laughs> thing to watch because his fingers literally were just dragging his head around. It was a very you know, odd thing to watch. It was, it was less the, the ability, more the, the sounds that aren't me of, of him doing that. It's that kind of... <laughs> just, yeah. Even now I think about that and I think, you know, I, I've never I've never actually um, used a plunger in a sink ever again. No, never. they reminded me of Hellraiser. Um, <laughs> Is he pent on the centre bike? <laughs> you came, we pent on... <laughs> Ah, <laughs> oh, ink all over me, you dirty inker. <laughs> you opened the box. <laughs> I drew you <laughs> in with, pen. <laughs> with my pen tongue. <laughs> pen tongue, stop writing. <laughs> <laughs> he wrote the script, I don't doubt. <laughs> Probably. That's why he did it so much. <laughs> you're very you're in it's very much pen tongue well anyway number 38 is won't talk about it blame it on the baseline by norman cook 
It surprised me this. It's just it's an odd step from the House Martins to this. <laughs> it is, yeah. I mean, that's that's that. I mean, it surprised me that it was so early. I didn't realize that Norman C- Fatboy Slim was this early on. I, I assumed that was way later. Yeah, um, I but, did as well. Know, he, he obviously had an inner DJ, and that inner DJ needs to be out in Rebel MC We Three Betty Boot style because that's what this is kind of head- aiming towards. And you can feel it all pushing that way, all these sounds culminating in that kind of rebel mc rough like a ninja sting like a bee kind of stuff and we're sort of heading down that i don't even know what the name of that is gary would know the name of that it's you know i'll pen tongue would probably be able to write it down for us but <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know what they call it but yeah it's that isn't it but it just shocked me that it was normal cook this early on and he's clearly enjoying himself in the video and he? so he clearly enjoyed himself number 39 is get loose featuring jazzy p the la man la mix yeah um yeah <laughs> <laughs> I thought I didn't think this would be up your street. Um, so very too a British group composed of a DMC mixer and club DJ Les Adams and his wife Emma Freelich and multi instrumentalist Mike Stevens. They made that stuff, and that's what it sounded like. Go listen to it. Um, it's all right for what it is, but it sounds of you know it's 1989 in a track. So yeah, number forty two is Edie Chow Baby by the Cult. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've said it's reminded you of something like California Dreaming by the Power yeah, but, bit. but the, it sounds like a Queen song because it's got that sort of opening bit and then the sort of the chord sequence goes up and the chord yeah, sequence sort yeah, of goes up a yeah. little bit it sort of reminded me of a, of a Queen it reminded me I was thinking what Queen track does this sound like and it does sound like a Queen song Which, what is it I don't know whether it's just a vibe of Queen or, a, or just a- yeah it is it's got what well, it isn't is an original is it it doesn't sound like the cult it sounds like something else it's it it weird, California yeah. Dreaming by the Mamas and the Papas in there because of that do 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 kind of a I don't know just yeah. it, it was that kind of vibe, but with you know, his kind of warblings, vampire warblings. So yeah, many vampire warblings over the top. Yeah, yeah. always never a good thing. Yeah, and at number fifty was Never Enough by Jesus Jones. Mm. Again, I, I didn't, didn't like think, this. No, I didn't think you would like it, but um, I, I don't mind this one. It's, it's, it's that new indie sound that's come through. Splash of Grebo and Manchester in there. Yeah, it, maybe it is, I, it is. You two with a sore throat. I still think oh, with no strepsils on the tour bus, maybe. <laughs> Poor Bono. Um, you got a feel for him. He can't get no strepsils on the tour bus. He needs some simple smippelmans, don't he, to soothe that sore throat. Get the smippelmans down. Let's get the smippelmans. After that, in at number 51 is A New Flame by Simply Red. <laughs> Hence why they go to number Again. one in the albums. Again. This video, yeah. it's too much Mick Hooknell. No. Too much. Mick Hucknall with his extra wide head, dancing with supermodels. <laughs> All it produced was a frothy yeast in his pants. <laughs> Ew. Oh. <laughs> so much heat. He's gone full toast. <laughs> Problem is, a hook mill would just be toasted on one side, and I knew that would just be like raw bread. No one wants that. Uh, no one. Yeah, nobody does. Who's uh, that? Paul Hollywood would hate it because he hates, he hates undercooked bread. He hates it. Hates In fact, it. I think he he's actually the, the anti hook The anti hook is, is uh, Paul Hollywood. Paul Hollywood is the anti-Hucknall because he can't stand any kind of part-baked <laughs> bread. He's a man who knows about bread. Uh, he's well-bred. Yeah. He is. <laughs> is he it is. at number 81? Devil and Daughter, Black Sabbath. Was it just me or was the boobs at the beginning of this video? <laughs> yes, like, there's a woman boobs. comes. It's like, what? that's not a cat of boobs in a pop video. It's just not wrong. Well, the video was odd. It was a really weird combination of things, wasn't Ooh. it? Whenever you showed them on stage, they looked like they were lost in the fog that they were buried in. <laughs> and it looked like they were on a tour of some kind of haunted castle, like a Disney haunted castle. Then there was some really yep. good visuals just in, thrown in every now and again. There was some really expensive... They clearly bought some kind of video clip art and then just like threw that in because there were some really expensive looking shots in there. Yeah. I don't know. I, don't, I didn't know what to make of the track, though. 
Um, but I sort of found myself quite liking it in a weird way. But I think it's because his vocals are actually pretty good on that. Not great Sabbath track, but his vocals were it weren't bad. weren't bad. It's all right. It's all right. Uh, in at number 100 yeah. is Pure by The Lightning Seeds. <laughs> Your favourite band. <laughs> well, they're, they're not. No, like you've written, no one's getting offended. And it's just, like you said, it's a nice song. It's okay. Soft pop and no one's getting... I mean, you just described every Lightning Seeds song. <laughs> they are all like that, aren't they? The thing with the Lightning Seeds is I can bet everyone liked them because there's nothing to dislike. Everyone liked them, mm. but I bet very few people actually loved them. Yeah. There's no... There's, they're just... They're just they're the froth at the top of a pint. It's like, yeah, it's all right. That is, honestly, if you were going to write something for Q Magazine or whatever when it was out, <laughs> that would be that be our last sentence of your review of them. Even everything about them, that would be the last sentence every time. Right. Everyone liked them, but very few people loved them. Yeah, it's true. I think it's, it's very, very, very accurate, that. 9th of July, so number eight on our own by Bobby Brown. Yeah, from the Ghostbusters 2 soundtrack, that's all we need to know. Which means Ghostbusters 2 must be around the... Around the corner, then. Around, but around but the it took ages. Corner, yeah. Took ages to come out over here, though, didn't it? I think it was nineteen ninety yeah, by the yeah. time it arrived. Yeah. Uh, number eighteen is "Liberian Girl" by Michael Jackson. Uh, it's not a great song. Weirdly, the video's full of celebrities, though. I mean, he must have gone through his black book and invited every dog in his dick because everybody's there. This so. is this is ninth single off that bad album. Nine. No, no, that's a bit like what? That's just the entire album. It is pretty much. Yeah, I don't think there's many more tracks on it, is there? Talk about milking, milking the cat. Yeah. yeah. Number 30 is Don't Want to Lose You by Gloria Estefan. Mm, pop. <laughs> it is. Yeah. This is the soundtrack to a bottle of honey that's been knocked over and it's slowly pouring onto the floor. <laughs> that made me laugh because it's like, yeah, it really is. It's like, oh, the honey. Exactly. It is. And right. When you, uh, if people do listen to these things on the podcast, if you're listening, go and listen. We'll put this in the show notes. Go and listen to this track. And then imagine that because it's, <laughs> it's it will, the, the visual will never leave you when you hear it. Then uh, number fifty four, <laughs> "Swing the Mood" by Jive Bunny and the yeah. mix, Master Mixers. We've talked Swing about off. that far too much. Yeah, number fifty five is one hundred and one or one hundred and one or one zero one by Sheena Easton. <laughs> the binary is it, song is it binary? So is that what is that five? <laughs> yeah, 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 something like that. Yeah, yeah, I guess it is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, you can tell this is written by Prince. Just a bit. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like a Prince song. Okay. Yeah, it just sounds like sounds exactly like a Prince song. Yeah, it does. The first, well, we've had Transvision Band, but uh, first of this, uh, Dress for Success, number 58 by Roxette. Mm. This Not is the exact those, same chord sequence as Baby I Don't Care. <laughs> it's exactly the same. It's, it's like a weird sort of crappy synth version especially at the beginning it's terrible yeah so, i never noticed not a great it rock set song, i never yeah. noticed at the time no no i can't say i did it's only on because i think it's because we listen to these in quite close proximity all of them you know over the time of the podcast and uh, it does sound like a lot like that it's also she's it's not a very good song for rock set that it's it's i mean i remember people liking it but it's not a as big as their other hits, is it? It was just kind of the also ran. Uh, yeah. Number 78 is You've Got to Choose by the Darling Buds. Another one of these. <laughs> We're going to see a lot of these in this, <laughs> in this, in this episode. It's too many. They all, they all appeared at once, like some kind of crazy sort of primitive style bands. So yeah. the Darling Buds. I listened to this. It sounds exactly like, like this. Yeah. All the others. Um, number 80. Yeah. Number 80 is Love American Style EP by the Beastie Boys. See, now this is a very good EP. So Is it? I, don't, I mean, I, yes. I, I have no recollection of this period of Beastie Boys. They just completely bypassed my transom. So I was completely me, unaware of this period. It's the best period. It's, I think oh, it's because okay. I, I like the original stuff, you know, the fight for your right and all like that. It's all right, but I found it a little bit annoying. Um, yeah, this yeah. was a complete sea, almost a sea change of the way they produce tracks. Lots more laid back vibes, lots more breakbeat samples, lots more stuff like that. 
you can sort of see the direction they're going. We've got the album a bit later. It's just this the tracks on this are brilliant and the album's really good. So yeah, good okay. stuff. Right direction yeah. for me. It's one of my better don't know. It's the period of Beastie Boys I really like. Yeah. Number eighty two is Twenty Five Miles, nineteen eighty nine by Edwin Starr. <laughs> This track. I mean, it's a remix of Edwin Starr's, because the track must have come out a million years ago, I guess. It sounds Probably like a really old track, with a, given the horrid remix treatment. But when they say remix, they don't mean remix, do they? They just mean abuse of the orchestral hit. Um, there's so much abuse of the orchestral hit in this, I feel like it should have its own charity and support line. Please give generously. It is. It's just, you know, and I don't like the orchestral hit used badly like this. It's like, it's not good. It's, it's wanton. It be, you know. it's, it's wanton use of it. Wanton. It is. No one likes it. It's... No one. No one. Number 94, On 33 by the Stereo MCs. Yeah, Gary's, it well, was well into that kind of thing. Yeah, he would do. It. However, in at number 96, uh, Toy Soldiers by Martika. Mm. Now, I, uh, this goes high. I think this gets to number one, doesn't it? I think no, didn't in the UK. Did in the did US. It, not. it was massive. Yeah. I remember this being a massive single. Climbs quite high. But was this the release? I, I thought it was later, but it's a good song, this is. And no, I had, um, it's the original release. Yeah, I really like this song. And um, yeah, it's good. just a really good song. And uh, yeah. she's, she's she's very pretty. She was a very pretty girl. I found a very pretty lady at the time, I have to say. Yeah, she is very 80s, um, but not in a bad way. The song is apparently she wrote it about, she wrote this one, because of course later Prince started writing songs for Martika. Oh. Um, but well, she wrote this one um, well yeah because he wrote Martika's Kitchen which was the song I'm not sure if it came after this one anyway but this one was she wrote it about a friend who was battling cocaine addiction apparently so mm. there you go and uh, yeah. it was a big it was a big hit principally the US it was a big hit there and of course later Eminem of course usurped it for um, one of his tracks because there's a huge chunk of one of his tracks has got a big sample of, of mm. Toy Soldiers in it so Probably where I know it from then. 16th of July, there wasn't much going on this this week. Only number 47, Blazing Saddles by Yellow. <laughs> it's okay if you like yellow. It's, you know, <laughs> it's, it's very yellow. It's very, it is, it, it's 100% it yellow. It is. Now, the song and the video are two separate like entities because the song is good, but the video is pretentious garbage <laughs> and really annoyingly so. Yeah. Um, and they kind of know it. And I think that, you know, they don't care about that, but it is, you know, the song's. A borderline that anyway, because it is arts. It's sort of becoming art school project vibes for me. You know, posh art school project, but mm. and it isn't a bad track. I know Gary's probably sat there frothing in, in the bit now and spitting, <laughs> but it's it's they they've done better tracks than this one. It isn't bad, but the video is just bloody stupid. And and I I thought mm, I wasn't too keen on it. Twenty uh, third of July, number two is too much. By Bross. I thought they'd gone all, by this point. We can all agree on that title. <laughs> yeah, we can. We can. What are they? Are they showroom dummies that have come to life or something? Because it's like they're they're expressionless plasticons. They're what are they? Are they are they real? I don't know. Who knows with these two? It dances like a crab. It looks like a young version of Max Headroom. Like it if Max Headroom was a real person, it, they look like Palitoy made them, and then they came <laughs> to life in some kind of magic. They've broken out of their uh, rappers. I mean, they're, they're ridiculously good looking. I mean, they, they you know, well, two of them anyway. The third, well, they're, they're all good looking guys, but I mean, Bross, I mean, goodness me, you know, what is going on? I mean, really, like, no wonder girls liked them. I was watching the video going, if I was a teenage girl, I'd probably like them. Um, in at number 10 is French Kiss by Lil Louis. The controversy. Oh, the controversy of that song. Yeah, I had to listen to it. I can't imagine it's up your alley. It's not, it's, it's not terrible. I don't mind it because it's just a bit, it's a bit moody, isn't it? It's a bit sort of just a, just a vibe yes. song. Yes, so. it is. It's an important song because of that though. Yeah. Um, because if you think about it, it's, it's, it's come almost borderline. It's like a trance monotonous. It's actually a techno track, really. And sort mm. of that continuous driving techno sound, which is very interesting that it had, it was that. And then, of course, they got banned by the BBC because it featured orgasmic sounds. 
mm-hmm. the same way that Jetem got banned and Love Love to Love You Baby got banned. Yeah, yeah. But so all that stupid, stupid to, to ban his song is ridiculous. But French Kiss is a very important song. American DJ and record producer Lil Louis. It was a huge hit, but it was a massive sort of early house trance blend, and that's important and way, way, way ahead of its time in terms of its sort of techno vibes. Really good stuff that is. That's why they banned uh, Gary's remix of it, Grimsby Kiss, uh, with sounds of his uh, <laughs> orgasmic sounds. <laughs> Sorry, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> Grimsby Kiss. That would be by Lil Louie, by Lil Gary. Banned by every broadcasting corporation <laughs> in the got, world. It got banned before he even recorded it. They were like, if he ever makes anything like that, ban it before he even does it. Make a time machine, go back and stop it's it, just, for God's yeah, sake. Just preemptive banning for him. <laughs> preempt it. We know at some point he's going to do that. Preempt it. Uh, uh, number twenty, <laughs> number twenty-three. Kick it in by Simple Minds. Smippleman's. Smippleman's. Uh, it's not a good look. This and it's a drab song. You put that it's a wife beater vest. What does that mean? Yeah, it's a, you know one of them white, white a white vest. It's, it's not Why known is that as a, wife beater? Because that's what they're called. <laughs> okay, I mean I, I, the only thing I, I thought of was is it looks like the kind of white vest that he wears in either the very early Fast and the Furious movies, which Vin Diesel wears, but he don't beat people, beat wives anyway. <laughs> but also, um, Raging Bull, he wears a lot of white vests and stuff like that. So and maybe that's it. Yeah. And, he, go, and he yeah. is quite violent. And he's, or uh, what's his face? I think wears one in Goodfellas as well. I think Ray Liotta has a. Yeah, yeah he does actually. Yeah, he does. There you go. And at number 28 is Do You Love What You Feel by Inner City. Yeah, Thumpy Clubhouse for the masses. You know, it would have charted and got done quite well for that. Um, number 33 is Sick of It by The Primitives. Uh, <laughs> by by the primitive sound of the other bands. Are these the originators. I, don't, of- I don't know. Maybe, but they're all starting to sound alike. Mm. The Darling Buds, the Transvision Vamps, the Primitives, Roxette. Yeah. They all they're all sounding very similar. They'll be called the New Primitives soon. <laughs> yeah. Po- uh, no, no, number thirty four is Poison by Alice Cooper. I love this track. Absolutely adore this track. It's one of my favorite songs. So yeah, I just but and, and uh, when I looked at because I just listened to this song and I just think it's amazing because it's just a really great rock track. And as you put it, uh, the structure is, is odd. It's a weird structure to this song. It is really good. Yeah, it's really but hard it's, to learn. You know, it doesn't follow it normally. But um, the riff, because uh, it was written by John McCurry, who was the guitarist, and he just he used it two years before on a, on a song about a song for John Waite on his on called Encircled. And so I listened yeah. to that, and it's exactly the same. It is. I was yeah, quite sure. wrong with that. If it's his riff, he can do what he wants with that. Not true as well, but the weird thing is, though, is that John Waite's album that that comes off is called Rover's Return, and so I couldn't figure <laughs> out why he'd named his album after the uh, pub from Coronation Street. Yeah, maybe it's got the Duckworth rap in it. Yeah, but it's no surprise as well, this is also written by uh, Desmond Child. No, you can totally tell it is. I mean, it's got that, that's the vibe, and that Desmond Child does tend to reuse certain records and th- bits from other records, as we know, he kind of recycles things a bit. Yeah, but I, I just uh, Poison is just amazing. It's just a brilliant track. Just it is yeah. the structure. For, you know, I think there's I think there's twelve chord changes. Wow, that's a lot. Because so, it's because if you think about the structure, that it's the chorus part. It's got if you think about the changes in it, then it's a key change. Then another key change. It's 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 clever stuff. So now you have to learn, but it's a clever it's clever because I had to learn it for the band that we were in. I was in temporarily. Um, so, but the riff is great fun to play. In all fairness, yeah, it's a, just a fabulous song. As is this one, number thirty-six. She bangs the drums by the Stone Roses. Bit of a classic, that isn't it. Yeah, yeah that bassline, that bassline when it starts. Dum 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 dum. It's just mm. ah, instant, instant to the dance floor. To the dance floor. They were easily the best of those kind of bands as well, actually. And I've come to listen to quite a bit more of the old Stone Roses and. 
a bit of a lost appreciation for how good they actually were. I've never really got into it, but if I was going to, they'd be the one I'd be into more because there's so many of those bands appeared. The Stone Roses Legacy something afterwards with the terrible Reading, because I was at the Reading gig, the infamous Reading show where basically half the band had left. And his, oh his singing was his singing was just so awful. It was dreadful, um, and it sort of it sort of tarnished. But you go back and you listen to this period, and you see why they were so. Oh um, Is know. it worse than when um, Oasis playing live and uh, what's his name was going through that really horrible divorce, and so we just started making a complete hash of all the songs he was singing and making lyrics up for them on the fly and annoying everybody in the band at the same but it's time. It's very, it's much worse. Oh gosh. That, that was bad. <laughs> it's probably the worst Famously thing I've ever uh, worst thing I've ever seen live, and I've been on safari. Oh dear! In at number thirty-seven is this one by Paul McCartney. Ugh. I thought this started okay, but then just then the chorus happens and it, it done. It's not good. That's Paul McCartney all over in it. Everything for him starts okay, and then just some, <laughs> something happens. <laughs> so. True. Number fifty-two is Your History by Shakespeare's Sister, or, or what I did after Bananarama. So, um, <laughs> interestingly, some of the good things about this. I mean, obviously, this is Siobhan Fahey uh, and Marcella mm. Detroit who joined the band because this was originally just—I didn't know this—Shakespeare's Sister was originally just Siobhan Fahey, and then Marcella Detroit right. uh, joined in. Joined, and I never knew that Marcella Detroit co-wrote Clapton's nineteen seventy-seven hit "Lay Down Sally." No, I didn't. I don't know much about Marcella Detroit. It's a good yeah, name. Was, yeah, it is. But yeah, Sh- Siobhan Fahey is just just ridiculously (laughs) (laughs) at this point oh my lord if they got a computer and scanned your brain like tron from the late 80s and constructed the your perfect woman it was that woman in that in that video yeah i mean she's very striking but it's like it's like it's like somebody read your mind and was like right let's pull her in the video just instead of the orange that appeared yeah bloody hell they got it bang on i mean you know i'm not i'm not Big fan of the band, particularly, but she's a good singer, no doubt. No I think they were they were all right. They were di- they were different and interesting. I think that was the good yeah, thing about Yeah, there is that. They were they weren't you know the usual things. So and obviously, cool. we're going to get stay in a couple of weeks or a couple of yeah, you know, big hit for them. Time. Big hit for them. Then. Yeah, massive. Thirtieth of July, and at number two is "Wouldn't Change a Thing" by Kylie Minogue. She I probably would. wouldn't actually. Yeah, I would. <laughs> I would. She won't, but I would have. Yeah, <laughs> the saw so. pump. Yeah, it just keeps the press. It it keeps throbbing these songs out, doesn't it? Like a, <laughs> like a funk. Yeah, like a gorilla having an orgasm. Can't be stopped very safely. <laughs> In a number 19, <laughs> Landslide of Love. Oh, that's got a horrible meaning now. Uh, by Transvision Vamp. Yeah, it's off that album that we're going to talk about in a bit, um, I think. And I don't know. She's not quite got the vocals for it all. Actually, at the end of it, she can't quite get there. It's like she almost no. tries and then it's like no. she gets back into kind of default screech, I think. Did you think this had a sort of leader of the pack style Oh, completely, yeah, yeah, totally sort of weird. 60s yeah. big band pop style thing. Yeah, totally did, yeah. It was a weird track, actually, weird. But there's a few on that album that are a bit odd like that. Yeah. Number 35 is Satellite Kid, is uh, by the Dogs de Moor. It's <laughs> the Diggy no. Skaggs Band. <laughs> it is properly the Diggy Skaggs Band. They are a band of tramps, and his singing is horrible. It's um, just dreadful. I don't know. Awful. No, the dogs don't anymore, I think. is just stay away, don't do it anymore, quit. Yeah. Uh, and number forty nine is Self by Fuzzbox. I quite like this one. This was all right. Yeah, with, with yeah. odd video, but a decent chorus. A bit, bit more rocky, a bit more up tempo, and a bit more yeah, sort of. But it's part of the the mythos, isn't it? It's it's clear, and has become clear to me over time that from the minute they did that stupid international rescue song, that mm. they didn't know what the hell to do with Fuzzbox. They didn't know whether to pitch them as a kind of a you know transvision vamp type direction, or whether they should go more pop and sort of poppy. I don't know, plastic pop kind of direction, and they don't sit comfortably in any. They should have just let them be a punk band that they probably were, but they tinkered with the formula, they tinkered with the band, giving them different looks, 
I mean, the lead singers, you know, you've got what you've got there is an amazing looking band. It's crazy good looking lead singer. How can you get that wrong? And yet, you know, these never get proper kudos they deserve or the chance. They just always seem to be not, the songs seem to be not quite good enough. It's mm. such a shame because I think they could have really been something had they had the right management. Yeah, probably. I'm Finally, saying. in at number 58 is Every Day Now by Texas. Uh, you mean Texas? You mean that gum? That's a steady 4-4 beat, if ever oh, I've heard isn't it one. Just, Miles probably woke up from a <laughs> sleeping coma and was like, oh, when she heard that. It, <laughs> yeah. and this, takes, this song is four minutes long and takes two and a half minutes to get anywhere. It's like, that's not good. That's not good. Their cars are all powered that way as well, so no matter what you do, you get in a car, you start the engine, it goes... <laughs> that's how they tick over. Probably. Terrible. I don't Very like cool. it. I don't. But then again, you know, that's the, the, whenever I hear that kind of that kind of you know, bum burdum burdum, I just instantly think Mississippi in the middle of a dry spell. Every time I, <laughs> yeah. it's like I'm programmed, <laughs> which I have been some <laughs> stage. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yep. Onto albums. Let's just rock it through these. Second of July. In at number one was Velveteen by Transvision Vamp, as we've already spoken yeah. about, but. Baby Don't Care on that and other stuff. Velveteen, the single, is actually quite interesting. It's nothing like Nine any of the other tracks on long. it. long. Yeah, yeah. Not what I was expecting to, but I didn't think it was very no. good. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Number eight is Full Moon Fever by by the Travelling Wilbur. Sorry, I mean Tom Petty. <laughs> Why didn't they just call it Travelling Wilburys? I suppose one of them was dead, but... Um... They still could have been Travelling Wilburys minus Roy Orbison, couldn't they? I mean, goodness. Yeah. I think he recorded this before he died as well. So he just died prior to it being released. And so, but anyway, it's got all the tracks that sound like Travelling Wilburys and they even play on it, don't they? So that's the yeah, weird thing. That's what I mean. It's yeah. got, I went back down on it. But yeah, yeah, the Heartbreakers, notably Mike Campbell and Jeff Lynn and Roy Orbison and George Harrison. Aren't you the Travelling Wilburys? No, no, not anymore. I don't know what you're talking about. That's a totally different band. No, yeah. That's a whole different contractual obligation you're talking about there. We don't want to talk about that. Completely different. In at number 14 is Anderson, Bruford, Wakeman and Howe with Anderson, Bruford, Wakeman and Howe. I know. Could you get a more prog rock title than that? It's just like, oh, I was so, I was like, oh, but good Lord. Oh, it's like, I love what you've written here. Oh, what was in it? At the time, vocalist John Anderson had felt artistically constrained within Yes's current format. <laughs> Like, how can you be constrained by yes? Do what you want. (laughs) Exactly. That's the whole, that's the name of the band. If they was constrained, it would be called no. Yeah. (laughs) The songwriting of Trevor Rabin had taken the band in a commercially very successful, but musically and lyrically different direction. So they just got the rest of the band. This is literally the No Trevor's album. He went in on it. He went in on it, and they're like, "No, this is the No Trevors album." Out. Yeah, sorry, it's a sign. Did you see the sign of the door? It says No Trevors. Sorry, (laughs) get out. Um, Can't have any more. Yeah, get out. Um, did you listen to any of it? I did put the link to the, the full I, album. I, I have made it my uh, mission in life to listen to No Yes. <laughs> I, well, it's not it's technically, it's supposed to, it's yes, not, it's no yes. But that said, there's parts of it that might appeal to you because there are parts okay. that sound very rushy. Very okay, rushy. I'll, I'll give it a bit of a listen then yeah. maybe. It's like a high-pitched rush, and if that's possible. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, you put the drum in, it's the, obviously without, you know, take out the drum in because the drummer is nowhere in the same league as, as the guy from Rush. So Yeah, okay. But, and it is kind of, it is prog. I thought Gary might have liked it just because I know he likes that kind of thing. But then I sort of thought maybe he wouldn't actually. It's probably too prog for him, probably even for him. He might have it now on vinyl. He's got everything on vinyl and he's got a recording of himself on vinyl somehow. <laughs> yeah, yeah just little Gary. And there it was. Yeah, <laughs> little, little Gary, little Grimsby Gary Kiss. <laughs> Grimsby Kiss. <laughs> it's the only single pressing of it in existence. Number <laughs> 21, <laughs> gate crashing, living in a box. <laughs> yeah, um, they're still in that box, aren't they? So. They are. This is the final album, and that's because they've run out of house-based things to sing about. <laughs> not 
that's what that is. Uh, number 43 is Walking with a Panther. Not like a panther, Gary. Walking with a panther by LL yeah. Cool J. Or maybe it was. I don't know. Sometimes I get it wrong on the chart thing. I don't know anything yeah. about this. I don't think I've ever listened to. I know some yeah. LL Cool J single tracks, but I couldn't tell you anything about this. I'm sure it's very influential. Yeah, I've not heard it. No. Number 54 is The End of the Innocence by Don Henley. Yeah. I, a bit of listen. I listened to a track of this, and it sounded like uh, the sort of thing that would be in a particular party political broadcast in the in the united states in the background all right good job good uh, reason not to listen to it then um mm. 9th of july and at number 30 was waltz darling by malcolm mclaren and the bootzilla orchestra we had the single now we have the album yeah it's a it's a good album actually that it's not bad there's some good tracks on there waltz darling obviously something's jumping in your shirt is a good track i remember that very fondly because i remember watching the video a lot with gary because obviously, aside from the Malcolm McLaren yabbering all the way through annoyingly, it's got a stunningly good-looking woman in the video. He, he, Gary liked that one. He did like it a lot. It is a good track, um, but I think he, I think if you've watched the video, you'll see why he liked it a lot. Okay. 16th of July, Themes by <laughs> Vangelis. Interestingly, this was the first official appearance of the music for the film Blade Runner, The Bounty, and The Missing on anything. They, up to this point, they were never released. Mm, I didn't know that. Yeah. And up to this point, um, the Blade Runner soundtrack out of those is the only one that's ever received an official release i didn't even realize he did the music for the bounty so it's a good advert though you know with the old uh, chocolate <laughs> yeah, bar and that. absolutely can't even get the red ones anymore <laughs> <laughs> no bloody hell and vangelis has sadly passed away so well, that's it well never end of an well, era end of a end of a end of a chocolate bar <laughs> and number 30 is earth moving by mike oldfield it's 12th album 12th uh, 12 12 strong albums strong and true um, he probably played everything on that, including the fiddly diddly, the ding dang, the waggaloo, and the plonk, <laughs> and, the- and a whole range of it. He just made instruments up. I'm pretty sure of this now. I've come to the. Con- I've seen him playing the bass. Okay, now I've seen him playing the guitar. Fine. The regular. But you look at the list of instruments on the, on his albums. It's like Mike Ofield played the bongos, the tang tangs, the yip yaps, the flips, the clippies, <laughs> all the loops. All the ning-nangs, the pen clappers. It's like, you're you making instruments up because some of these don't sound real to me. What's no. a bong fiddle? <laughs> He's played it. <laughs> he plays it every yes. night. And at number 32 is Ghetto, Ghetto Music, The Blueprint of Hip Hop by Boogie Down Productions. Boogie Down album number three, is it, I think? Gary would be know. well into that. Presume it's a compilation. It. Yeah, just a load of their stuff on one track. I don't know much about it. Gary's, it's Gary's zone, that. In at number 60 is Mr. Big with Mr. Big. Over now, Mr. Big. Well, Mr. Bigger, I, th- I think there's there's a couple of things to note, really, about this. Um, the band was originally composed of Eric Martin, lead vocals, Paul Gilbert guitar, Billy Sheehan, and Pat Torpe on drums. Now, they're, they were classed as a super group, mm-hmm. um, and principally because of the skills of, really, I suppose, Billy Sheehan on bass and Paul Gilbert. On, and not to take anything away from the singer and the drummer, but Paul Gilbert is a virtuoso guitarist, and Billy Sheehan is a virtuoso bassist. And just to take a moment to appreciate how incredibly talented both of those people are, to have them in one band is kind of crazy. I mean, they've both done the rounds, perhaps Billy Sheen a bit more, but Paul Gilbert's soloing is just on another level of technical skill. I mean, it's, it's I'm only the only other guitarist I've seen that can play like that, really, because even Steve Vai doesn't play that way. Um, it's more like Nuno Betancourt, somebody like that who can play at that kind of alter, alternate picking speed um, and the arpeggios that he plays and he's working up and down the fretboard. It's on a scale I just, I have never seen anybody be able to play that as technically proficiently and as note accurate as well. It's just an incredible thing to watch. And um, we'll put a link to a couple of really amazing solos that he's done, one from back then and one more recently. And you'll see the guy is still just, he's just a genius at the guitar. Just And one of those kind of understated geniuses, he still does 
um, how to and help videos and how to do it videos on YouTube. So he's quite yeah. humble with it all. Billy Sheehan, I mean, goodness me, is, is he, are his fingers made of some off-world material? <laughs> I mean, I played bass for a while in the band that we were in. And I could tell you, if I'd have played it like that, not that I could have, but if I'd have tried, my fingers would have just worn down to a nub, a bloody nub by, by the short <laughs> space of time. Yeah. How he is doing what he's doing. And there's a lot of people that say, well, he just plays the bass like a six-string guitar. He doesn't. That's actually, that's actually a little bit of a... Um, not an insult, but it's a little bit of a. It's his technique is absolutely astonishing on the bass. I mean, in, in a way that it's it's you know, not just the tap in and all that stuff that he does, but just the sheer speed and the way he plays. It's other bassists that could do similar things, they're just maybe a bit more understated. The Geddy Lees and people like that are all incredibly talented. But when you're watching him, his bass solo is ridiculous. It's ridiculous that someone can play a bass like that and their fingers don't explode. <laughs> so I will put a link to one of his solos as well um, to give you an idea of both. And again, for him, he's also still good. It's not like it's like, like a years ago they were good, now they've kind of lost it. No, <laughs> they're not. They're still bloody amazing, talented musicians and amazing people to watch. You know, some people don't like that kind of, you know, it's a bit like that. They are shredders, I suppose, old school shredders. But... Uh-huh. If you listen to some of Paul Gilbert's solo stuff, not so much the stuff that where he's just you know showing off some you know, fancy guitar soloing that he's in the band, some of his some of his original material is genuinely amazing. Same with Billy Sheehan. So it's just worth exploring them a little bit if you like that kind of thing, just to see what incredible musicians they really are. Um, now, what's really strange is how all of that amazing talent didn't really levitate them beyond one song that I can remember, which, which is, is a really slow. Um, <laughs> which is a really song song, yeah. To, to be with, yeah, yeah. with a really naff drum. Because you know, the songs are rubbish. Vocal, but, the songs are boring. Yeah. They're rubbish. You can yeah. do, I, I get all that talent stuff. And like, I, you know, I mean, I just boring muse, muso wankery to me. There's talent and no soul. I just can't be doing with it. Also, that bass solo you linked to is 12 minutes long. That's never a good thing. No one wants a 12-minute bass solo. I mean, can you imagine? He's the only person I know that would give the, the glonk trouble, potentially. <laughs> Could you imagine you know, there a face-up, a, a thumb-off? A thumb-off thumb off between, between Sheehan the, the, and glonk. Sheehan and the glonk. <laughs> it'd, be like, it'd be like when Superman fights the General Zod. You know, they're just going to be thumbing each other through buildings. <laughs> yeah, it'd be like a, it'd be like a <laughs> atomic bomb going off. Couldn't, you know... They'd have to push a thumbtack through a car. That's the like, first test they put... It'd be like the uh, end of Hancock. Um, yeah. When they can't, they can't let uh, Will Smith and Charlie Theron get, get close to each other sort of thing because it just ends the world because they're two superheroes. They wouldn't be able to, would they? She no. and the Glonk, they can't, they can't uh, exist on the same continent. <laughs> too, it's too much bass power. The bass notes themselves <laughs> would cause entire continents to shit themselves. So, no. No, 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 no. South Africa would shit out an entire island. Yeah, and I get, I get, you no, know, the no bass good. solos and big long solos. Not, they're not for everybody, obviously. They're not. But you know, I, I just, I, 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 I admire Paul Gilbert greatly for the kind of talent he's guitarist. I'm not a big Billy Sheehan fan, but Bill, but um, Paul Gilbert is an amazing guitarist. He really is. Fair enough. Fair enough. Twenty third of July, and at number two is the Twelve Commandments of Dance. My London boys. Uh, Take yes, the twelve tracks on there. Um, <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, it's their debut album, and of course their only album because, of course, they all died in a tragic accident. But yeah, so there you they go. did. Uh, and number five is "Peace and Love" by the Pogues. Yeah, <laughs> I was not into the Pogues, so no. Um, apparently, um, this is less traditional Irish music and more based on London, which surprised me because that's apparently that's where the Pogues were founded. I never got that from them. I always kind of picked them as the Irish, you know, thing. But yeah, so they did I do a song well. called "The Irish Rover" with an Irish band in Ireland. <laughs> That kind of sealed it for me, really. <laughs> true, true. Uh, in at number 24 is Bebop Mop Top by Danny Wilson. I don't know what this, this is. This wasn't what I expected at all. It's not, don't look into it. 
It's the, Sc- <laughs> it's the Scottish pop group called Danny Wilson. It's not a person called Danny Wilson for a start, which, which is what surprised me. Don't ah. call your band, your pop band, by a person's name. Worked for Van Halen, but it doesn't work for Danny Wilson, does it? It just sounds like a guy from the council estate. He's just going to bring you his dustbin or something. True. Gonna, I'll fix your fence for you. Danny Wilson fencing. It's just, it's, it's, that's not a pop band name. It's not. <laughs> it's not. Anyway, it's not very good. good. It won't very no. good. Number 35 is Especially For You by Joe Longthorne. Ah, Hull's greatest uh, impressionist. <laughs> impressionist. <laughs> he really is as well. He's up against some strong uh, competition there. Well, not with, you know, he did amazing impersonations of Frank Sinatra, Sammy Davis Jr. and Tom Jones. That's niche. That's, that is niche, <laughs> isn't it? I mean, you know, you're going up against somebody that's going to do Frank Spencer. <laughs> most, of, most of those impressionists around that time did a Frank Spencer, didn't they? They all did, oh, Betty did. and all that bloody. They so, did, yes. He, he didn't. He, he, he didn't. broke that mould. He did, for good or for ill. Um, and at number 75 is Cosmic Thing by the B-52s. That's a good album by them. Um, it was their comeback album, actually. Well, not comeback, but it was a, there was a big gap between this, their previous album, and this one for quite a number of years, I think. Um, mm. So this was their kind of comeback. Are they on good form? I don't know. Yes, I suppose they are, because everyone loves Love Shack and all Exactly. It's got Love Shack on it, and that was the the biggest track ever, I guess, isn't it? Love Love Shack's the one that everyone remembers, but everyone also remembers Rock Lobster. But anyway, and it comes to preference, I much prefer the earlier Rock Lobster version of the B-52s. I do love the B-52s and the latest stuff especially, and I do like all of this album, but I always will prefer things like Private Idaho and Wig and all of those tracks. That's just the kind of Mm. B-52s I really digged. That's fair enough. Doug. Still dig, do, dag. Dag. 30th of July, Diggy Skaggs. 30th of July, number one, Cuts Both Ways by Gloria Estefan, Double Edge Knife. Yeah, she was very popular over there, wasn't she? She was very popular. Number 44, Paul's Boutique by Beastie Boys, which we've spoken it's about. It's an important that, album, that is. It's an imp- well, it's an important album, Paul's Boutique, um, in terms of its... It's been described as the Sergeant Pepper of hip-hop. That's how important people see it in the in the wow. critical community of hip hop. It's classed as a seminal work in sample based production, which I believe it probably is. It's just it's it didn't do as well as obviously licensed ill. It was a totally different vibe, very samply, lots of funk soul stuff in there, very different kind of vibe. Um, and I really, really, really like it. It's the one um, Beastie Boys album that I really, really, really like. It's hard to actually listen to a full version on YouTube because they keep blocking it all the time um, because that's what happens on YouTube, of course. So that, that version that's there, that I put in our show notes may not be there when you get to it if you listen to it, but you can probably find it on any of the usual services if you go and look for it. It's astonishing. It's a really important album. It's definitely worth listening to. It is nothing like the first album. Mm. So it's very much more like their later album. So if you like that late, more sort of, you know, breakbeat-y, thumpy yeah. kind of variant, you know. The, when they went yeah, under sabotage and stuff like that. Yeah, it's, it's that. It's heading, it's that direction. And it's the very yeah. first sort of attack, attack at that. It's such a good album. And it, every track on it is really good as well. So definitely mm. go listen to that. Okay. recommendation finally is live fast number 48 is live fast die fast i don't think they've worked that out um by wolf spain uh, yeah fast. live fast die fast doesn't work does it <laughs> it's live fast die young surely um it's it's live the full title is is it live fast die fast wicked tales of booze birds and bad language that's the full title of the album <sighs> well i mean they've obviously i've only just copied off what was on the chart the chart website so oh, dear, maybe mate. um rick rubin now he was Mr. Deaf, whatever it was, Deaf Jam or Deaf America, whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I listened to a couple of tracks off this and it, they sounded like the one, the, the one I listened to was called Manhunt. And it sounds like, it, to me, it sounded like a mixture of Iron Maiden, Guns N' Roses, a lot more Iron Maiden influence. Yeah, I, I thought, thought it, it sounded be. Iron maiden Yeah. Which is a bad, a bad thing. Sort of original Iron Maiden sounding. That's not necessarily a bad thing, but Iron Maiden kind of do Iron Maiden. So don't, you know, don't do that. <laughs> yeah. Also Halloween do as well. Um, yeah. And they do it better. 
but yeah, I, d- I didn't particularly take to this, but there you go. Anyway, that's it. That's the music. Quite a lot of it, but there you go. Um, we're going to take a quick break. We will be back. We've still got three games to get through. Hopefully, they'll be better than the games in the first section. Let us see if they are. And we are back. First up, uh, let's get straight into it. Still three more games. Our first one is Circus Attractions. Circus Attractions. Yay. Yay. £9.99. It's another week. It's another multi-event game appears set in a circus. What is it about circuses and these types of games? Ah. (laughs) Anyway, Circus Attractions. This comes from Rainbow Arts. Mm. Arts, and was developed by Golden Goblins. Oh, them. Um, yeah, them. I presume they are Hog Prenzing on code. Olaf, Men- Olaf Mendes von Rauchhaupt, Andreas Gort and Bettina Wiedner on graphics, and Chris Hulsbeck on music. Yeah, they've got another game coming out soon as well, I think. Have they? Yeah, yeah okay. I what it's called, but they've got another one coming up. We've had, you know, we've talked about these and we've had quite a lot of complaints about these multi-event style games over the weeks. So, you know, thinking about what I was looking at, it's going, oh God, is this another one that falls foul of overcomplicated controls and boring events? Or have they managed to bring all the fun of the circus finally to the C64? Because I don't really think we like that last, there was those two we got no. in that week, weren't there, whatever they were, the Tinesoft one and then the weird American one. No, yeah, not they were crap. Um, yeah, so first impressions here are well, they're odd. And this loads up first of all, there's just a static menu screen, and it sees a guy in a blue, what can only be described as a bellboy suit, holding the list of initial options on the right of the screen open to us, whilst a small, small child peeks from a candy cane type pole behind him, which is a bit odd, really. I'm not quite sure what to make of that, but it's a bit weird. Um, it's nicely drawn, though, I have to say, some good shading. And I guess it does have the feel of the circus about it. There's kind of, you know, it's got some drapes and stuff behind it. There's there's a sort of feel of the circus, so we're all there. Uh, the options we have here are the main performance. So, again, it's got this kind of th- theming. So it's got main performance, and that allows us to play all the events one after the other. Or we can practice any of the events, and those events are trampolining, tightrope walking, juggling, knife throwing, and clown jumping. So we've got five events in this multi-event game. Um, there are also some options which allow us to change this from a one-player game to a team game, interestingly, for two players. This is an interesting addition, uh, and I kind of mention how that changes each event when I get to them, um, because it does you play them slightly differently. And also there's the option to rename the players and see the high scores for each event. So let's just start. Let's go through them all. Let's start with trampolining. Okay. I thought I thought we got a rather aggressive loading screen. We were told to be patient with an exclamation mark. Yeah, it was a bit shouty. <laughs> be patient. Okay, don't exclaim at me. Just load faster. Make a little bit, you know, make a better loader. You don't need to tell me then. Anyway, once loading is complete, we're into the trampolining. In the middle of the big tent, your character stands on a small trampoline. Above him, at various heights, are balls. These these sort of floating balls up in the sky. These take up this takes up most of the screen. Um, at the bottom. Um, is your name. There's a bar that slowly decreases, which is the timer for the event. Uh, And there's your score. And there's an icon showing what is next to be collected, I think, because the instructions that I found for this, they're painfully vague. All I could find was the controls. So there's not a lot of information in them. So I'm kind of, you know, you get what you get. So control here um, is okay. It's down to start bouncing so you sort of bounce go down and then you start move and then you move upwards um so you push up as you're moving upwards then down um until you hit the trampoline and then up again uh if you get this right then your character will start to bounce higher and higher and you 
collect them, you collect more balls, you go into them and that gets your points. Um, and there's new objects to collect. And as you go further and further up, further up with each bounce, you know, you can try and get higher and higher. You can move the joystick left and right as you bounce to do a forward or backward somersault. So if you press fire and left or right, you do a slow somersault. I tried this once and bounced off the uh, somersault, uh, uh, bounced off the trampoline. It's probably not a good, I didn't find it a good idea. In two players, though, it says that the jump, this is what it says in the instructions, it says that the jump movements are individually controlled. So I'm not sure if that means one pushes up and one down or one does the bouncing and one does the somersaults. Not sure. So yeah. So is that what what happens is you've got to you the, the time once you start that little timer bar starts going down. Once it fits thing, you'll land and you think it. Or if you fall off the trampoline, which I did quite a lot when I sort of got too high, you just fell off the trampoline when he hit the floor again. And I didn't know if I'd done something wrong, but there's still balls to be collected. So I never knew how to get really high up. As I said, the instructions are very vague, so God knows. Following that, it's tightrope walking. So you are high above the audience. We have a tight walk, tight rope walker seen from an an angle above walking across a diagonal tightrope. Um, the perspective here is hard to get your head around. You're sort of looking down, and there's a woman walking at an angle, sort of from it's top an right angle, to bottom isn't it? left. Yeah, yeah. And so, and the controls here are left and right for balance. Um, up the up diagonal, so up left and up right for extreme balance. Well, I don't know what the difference is. Um, you can do you can press the fire button for a scissor kick. You can press fire and up for a back somersault, and you can do fire and down for a handstand. In two player, another woman stands on the shoulders of the walker, and only they can do the stunts. So one person does the balancing, and one person does the stunts. Now it took actually took a little while for me to realize that your character just walks automatically, so you don't have to worry about moving the walking. All you need to do is use left and right when they raise they sort of raise the appropriate arm to keep them in balance, um, and do your tricks when you want to do your tricks. Um, and I thought this was okay once I figured that out. Um, doing tricks is pretty easy too. Um, it's a little simple, but it's okay. It's all right. The, the perspective is just a bit weird. And I, I, it's good that they do the auto walking because pulling down at the angle and trying to do the left and right stuff, you don't have to worry about that. You just pull left and right when they raise their arm. And it's mm-hmm. kind, of, kind of simplest. Um, next up, we've got the juggling. There was no UI on that one pretty much. You're just walking. No. If you don't, if you get, the, if you overbalance whatever, then you fall down. And the, the perspective on falling down is all kinds of weird. You don't shrink quite far enough. It's very odd. <laughs> it's a bit so it's weird. A bit weird. So the, but the graphics are, again, the graphics are pretty good. The background sort of, as a good, the background images in this game are really well drawn and really good. Mm. And they sort of do a lot with little, you know, they get away with that thing. So it's a nice bit of energy at the back. And there's, you know, sprite, the sprites sort of move around. So it gives you that sort of impression that there's more happening than there actually is. Um, and the same with the next one up, because that's juggling. So you control a large smiling man who has put his pants on the outside of his dungarees. I don't know why. <laughs> he stood facing the screen, and off to the, right of, uh, off to the right on the screen, your assistant stands in a backless dress. I don't know why. Mm. Ready to throw balls at you. Let's see what she does. As she does, you will automatically move them because you, um, you catch them in your left hand, and then he will automatically move them to his right hand, but you have to tap left on the joystick because he's facing you, so it looks to his left, so it's our, your left. And then you tap left, and then he'll throw that ball upwards as it lands in his hand. So you can press fire to request another ball um, at any time. Um, You might also get given a football, and this goes to your foot, and you need to press down uh, to juggle that. And you can also jump whilst doing all this by pressing up. So this soon gets very challenging because you start off with two balls being thrown at you, so you're juggling two balls. So as they move from right to left hand, 
or sorry, left to right hand. You're tapping left, and that's really what you're doing. You're kind of tapping left, and he's tossing the balls up. But then it, the, the woman starts throwing more balls at you, and they might come at odd intervals. So you've got sort of right, you know, you're tapping left, 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 left. You're trying to tap quite a fast sort of thing to keep them going um, and to keep them up. So and it gets quite fast, quite hard. It's quite simple, um, but, you know, um, you, supposedly as well, you can also get thrown a club, um, which is you in your right hand, and you got to toss that by pressing to the right. But I, I never actually got one of those, so I don't know. Um, your score is shown at the bottom, and in two-player mode, both players throw balls at each other. I don't know what that means. So whether you're tossing balls to each other, sort of, you know, juggling back and forth with each other, I don't know. But it's okay. It gets quite manic quite quickly. Um, but and, and I found it quite hard after a while to follow all the elements. I think at one point I had like eight balls flinging round. And so yeah, just, I'm just, I'm just hammering left. Because every, every moment there was a ball hitting my right hand. I was like, left, 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 left. It's like, oh, well. Next up's the knife throwing. Um, this is seen from behind, your thrower. Um, and you are past knives to toss at your spinning assistant. So you kind of like as perspective. So you're at the end of this, you know, you're away from them and then in perspective going downwards into the screen, there's a, um, there's this, you know, the whatever it is, the circle one, which this sort of, some woman is sort of held and they're spinning round. Um, and you've got to throw your knives and don't hit her. You aim with a cross here and you have to time it right. Otherwise, you know, they're, they're going to get a knife in the face, um, which I did several occasions because you have to, you know, they're spinning, you're throwing, it takes time for your knife to go with your hand to get to the board. So you've got to, you know, lead, you need some lead time. The best way to do it sort of thing is aim in the middle. So it's kind of, you'll get one, almost one revolution or half a revolution, one revolution of the board between you throwing it and it hitting. So you can kind of aim it just right. Um, you can also aim your, uh, aim your knife at the uh, people stood by the spinning wheel as well. You can you can throw the knives at them if you want as well. Um, control is simple. You just aim with the joystick, and then you hold, fire, and release when you want to throw. I think you have five lives. There's like five knives on the floor, which I think means hitting the assistant. Again, instructions are very vague before it's game over. But you also must be careful as well because you press the fire button um, to request a knife from your assistant sometimes she will be holding a stick of dynamite so you need to wait for her to throw that away before asking for it because if she throws a dynamite at you then it's game over it'll explode and that's your end of your go it's a bit weird um but in two player you both throw knives at the woman rotating on the disc it's like what's this woman done she's she got well stabbed up in my go which i felt a bit sorry for her um <laughs> last up is the jumping clowns so the jumping clowns there are two seesaws um with a clown on one end of them at the bottom corners of the screen. So the bottom left and the bottom right, there's like a seesaw and there's a clown on them. Um, and from the top on the left, another clown will drop down out of the sky and hit the seesaw. And so they will start bouncing up and down on the seesaw as they land. What you have to do, you have to bounce uh, one of the clowns, no matter which one, from across to the seesaw on the other side of the screen and you have to land on a clear space so if you um if you bounce the one at the back it will land on the back on the far side um and if it's going that way you need to press fire for the clown on the other side to switch to the front to allow the incoming clown to land it sounds a bit complicated but it's actually very simple once you get the hang of it this is really quite simple to complicate matters though there is a ghost that hovers either at a low, medium, or high height. And if you hit it, then it's game over. The controls are quite simple um, because um, – so what the controls are, you do uh, sort of uh, – so the which way you're facing. So if you're jumping from left to right, then top right um, will do a high jump 
to the right we'll do a medium jump and bottom right we'll do a low jump you've just got to avoid that um avoid the um ghost and make sure you're landing on part of the seesaw where the other clown isn't there keep doing this it gets faster and faster there are also balls that will appear um in the sky that you can hit for bonus points again um this um was quite good it's quite simple once you get the hang of it um, I was doing this for quite a while and got a, quite a good rhythm going. thought the visuals were really nice. The sprites on the clowns were really cool, well-drawn, mm-hmm. well-animated as they bounce around. The little ghost, the background, sort of big top is all really nicely drawn. There's a really good feel to this one, um, and this was probably my favorite of the of all the games. I really enjoyed this clown jumping one because it was a there was just enough to watch out for and just enough to sort of take it yeah, on board yeah. to do each bit. It wasn't too overcomplicated. The controls are simple, but there's enough elements sort of working together to make it an interesting, escalating, skill-based thing. And I quite really like this one. And that's it, really. That's your lot. After playing through them, you get a score, uh, and your name is on the high score if you did well enough. Um, and that's kind of it, really. It just loops back to the beginning at that point. There's not much to it. From a visual perspective, I thought, that, like I said, there's a lot to like here. The screens are well drawn. The animation throughout is pretty impressive. There's big characters. The jugglers, you know, really big. Um, the, the trampoline is big. The um, the clowns are really nicely animated. The spinning wheel for the um, the knife throwing and all that, it's all nice. There's, there's, it, visually, this is excellent. The sounds are okay. There's jingles and stuff. And there's no, nothing earth-shattering. The music's okay in some parts. And it's just it, it does what it's needed to do. Um, it's fine. The controls for each event I thought were fairly simple once you learn, and you can and you can do pretty well with them. Although some are better than others, I found the trampolining a bit weird and and, and things that was a bit the odd. But um, but like I said, that clown one really simple but addictive, and I was doing that one for quite a while. I thought this is certainly one of the better alternative multi-event titles we've seen. It reminded me of that other one we saw the other week, the Gremlin Graphics one. Mm. Um, which I can't remember the name of off the top of my head, um, but it ha- had that kind of similar sort of feel and vibe to it. It's not brilliant, but it, it does it. It keeps it simple, and that kind of works. The problem with it, though, it I couldn't seem to find any competitive edge um, with that setting. So you got this team team mode. So there's, there's the strange co-op mode, which is kind of interesting, but it I, I didn't see a, a competitive mode, which is a bit weird. Um, like a, I think a straight multiplayer option would have been good to see. So you you know you're all trying to do better. Like any of these multi-event games, few few yeah. people playing them, um, you're all trying to do the best at the events, and that's kind of what they're about. But having it be cooperative seems an odd choice. But I mean, it's what it is. Um, also around the edges, I think there could have been a little more time given over to introductions for events and the like. It's very you're in. So the game starts, you have your options and you just kind of stood there. It's a static screen. You pick what you want to do. It loads. There's no like, you know, sort of intro to it. Like the clown, you know, there's none of that. It's very just, just the bare minimum. You have the event, static screen likes it, and that's it. A circus type opening, closing ceremony would have been a good addition. Like, welcome to the circus. Thanks for coming at the end. Something, you know, the loading hurts it as well. Um, I thought because the loading is quite long. Don't tell me to wait; it's annoying. Just get a better loader. Um, as the first time I actually played through it, where I was trying to get rid- used to the controls because so they get you can be quite over quite quickly. I was watching the loading screen longer than I was playing it, and that's not a good thing. But you know, I did really like the clown jumping event. The rest, uh, they're okay. They're not as good. It's not top tier multi event gaming. It's the best circus one we've seen, but you know that's not damning with faint praise, maybe. But it does keep to the simple, this best ethos mostly throughout throughout the controls, and that's what we like to see. But I didn't mind this. 
But I think for a multi-event game, the lack of competitive edge robs it of any real longevity um, because you wouldn't be coming back to this, you know, let's put this on again. Well, why? Let's just play Summer Games mm. or Summer Games 2 or World Games or, you know, that alternative one we saw the other week, whatever. Um, but, you know, it's worth a look for a few minutes. And I think, like I said, that clown jumping one was, by, for me, the best one. Um, and, you know, it's, it's worth a look for that alone, I think. It's, it's the best game I've played so far this week, but there you go. What did you think to this? It's an odd one, but what did you think? Yeah, it is a bit odd, isn't it? I mean, there's some nice graphics and sounds from the get-go. It's got production's value is pretty high. It's it's along the you know it's not quite the epic standard, but it's on the right track. Mm. Um, it had all the, and it, what I did like about it is it felt like the colours of the circus, the colours, the really rich colour palette on this game, and that yeah. so that was nice. Um, there's a, enough multi events to have a go at. I suppose they're fun in their own kind of logic. I don't know. I, I'm not a big fan of circuses actually, <laughs> so. Circus events don't hold a lot of fascination for me. There's some nice details in this, though, and some of the controls, like you said, work, some not so much. So it's a little bit of a mixed bag. It's just it's just not quite there, but there's enough there to maybe like. And like you said, the, the clown one was quite good fun all of a sudden done. Mm. So it reminded me, what was the other, there was another sort of multi-event game that we thought was actually, it was quite good in its own little logic. The caveman one. Yeah, the cave. Yeah, the caveman one was pretty good. It's, it had that kind of vibe. There was another one as well where there were some of the events were quite a bit better than we thought. Maybe anticipate there would be the pole vaulter when he was running towards the screen and stuff was quite good. I can't remember what that was. It's just it's it's on that it's on the right trajectory and yeah. the graphics are good and the sounds good and it's all got the great good. These guys they're going to be releasing Grand Monster Slam pretty soon, which is another multi-event game with some weird stuff in it. It's, I like the thematic of it. I like the colors. I like the feel. It felt like a circusy type thing. The vibe was right, and that's quite important. You've got to get that right for this. When many other games just got lost in their own crazy. Um, each event was detailed enough, lots of visual cues to keep you in the game space. This Some of the setup was a bit twitchy, I found here and there, and some of the way you controlled it, trying to get your name at the beginning yeah. was kind of crazy. Um, that might have been the crack, I don't know. But I found this was a really good, enjoyable experience on the whole, and I imagine it could be quite good fun. How much repeated fun with multiple players? I don't know. I still go mm. back to the... I like my multi-event games to be about events that I'm likely to... The, the classic tradition of them, I guess. I guess and that's kind of... World Games is about as daring as I want to get. So, you know, yeah. and I get that there's, there's fun things to be had here, but I don't know. It's not perfect. Some of the events are less fun than others. You have to enjoy the circus to like it, of course, anyway. I'm not sure that I do, but it's got more circus, circus tropes in this than the others did. I'm just not sure I would have paid 10 quid for it by the time it came out back then. I don't think I would have... It would never have enticed me to buy a circus attractions game anyway. Mm. Um, but it isn't a bad one. It's certainly better than some of the previous attempts, that's for sure. And it does have, again, the, the graphics are really good on this, or at least some of it, ma- majority of it. 70% is pr- probably about the right score for once. So, you know, there's some logic to that. I yeah. enjoyed what I played. Would I keep going back to it? Probably not. But there you go. Yeah, I think that's about right. That's probably what I found. It, it lacks competitive. It lacks competitive edge. Proper multiplayer mode. I don't know why it hasn't got it. Well, because circuses don't have it, do they? They're not really competitions in a circus, are they? So they kind I of suppose. I mean, they could have done it more like putting on a show and, and the audience reaction could have been gauged somehow and that would have given you a kind of a score. That would have made it feel a bit better, you know, where the crowds cheered or, or there was yeah. kind of a, ooh, when you crashed to a crash to the ground or something like that. But, you know, maybe that's the kind of direction it should have gone. Anyway, they didn't. No, but it's still all right. Here we go. That's Circus Attractions. Let's move along quickly. Is it quickly? Are we going to move quickly in this one, Graham? Because in this one... <laughs> It's the duel. 
Test Drive 2. Dun, 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 dun. Uh, £9.95, this was. I'm guessing maybe a different price disc tape. I don't know. 77% low in Zap. Mm, we're heading down the old uh, average motorway here, aren't we? <laughs> Publisher was Accolade. Mm, okay. okay. The developer, Distinctive Software. The design was Don Matrick and Armory Wong, uh, or Amore Wong. Uh, the coder was Chris Hate. Hate, Hate Chris Hatlide? Hatlide? I don't know. I don't know how you say that. It's also got uh, my favourite in it as well, Kevin P. Pickle. It's Pickle Kev, everyone. Pickle Kev. <laughs> Pickle Kev did it. And hey. Hanno Lemke is there as well. And the graphics are Teresa Henry. Musician is Chris Hatlid again. I think they might very well be the same people that made Test Drive, the first one. Some of, some of them are, yeah. So it's very similar. Yeah. So, Adrian, I want you to close your eyes for a moment and imagine the desert. Flat hot roads that drill straight ahead into perpetuity mm-hmm. a driver's dream mm-hmm. now imagine yourself at the wheel of a silver gem known as the porsche 959 or the porsche Ooh. 959 sorry mm-hmm. the world's fastest production car at that time that's what they told you when you plunk down your quarter of a million dollars Aye. you're cruising Ooh. at 200 kilometers per hour feeling very royal very kind of the road uh, mm. i don't know they're not sure that these descriptions this is from apparently from the uh, instruction manual i'm not sure how accurate they are i did see a copy of the manual that this is just the kind of text version anyway suddenly there is a blur in the passing lane you blink whatever it was had to be going at least 240 kilometers per hour you put your pedal to the metal and investigate up ahead in a perfect red haze of automotive harmony cruises a machine unlike any you've seen before your jaw drops it's the legendary ferrari f40 as sleek as a piece of kevlar is kevlar sleek and carbon reinforced plastic as ever rolled off a production line you pull even the other driver looks you over. He raises his thumb, then roars ahead, finding under 40 or 50 kilometers per hour in the bowels of his 478-horse twin-turbo V8. Ooh. You glance at your instrumentation. You've always wanted to explore the depths of the famous Porsche sixth gear. You shift. You rock it. Head-to-head, down the desert chute. You wind up treacherous mountain curves. You hurtle through lush woodland corridors, and the cops are out in droves. Hurtle? Hurtle, do you now? <laughs> Right. Yeah, I'm not sure if there's much hurtling going on, really. So that's the kind of the, the setup. It's this. This is a bit of an odd thing, actually, because it's sort of a sequel, but it's well, all right. We'll just add, anyway. It's the follow-on game. Um, now, I never, we never really liked Test Drive that much, did we? I think we had problems with it, and the problems being that it was jerky slow, and they had big blocky police cars, and we were like, <laughs> mm, we didn't quite like that. No. So I suppose the first and most obvious thing to say is that this is a clear 16-bit depot. I, I played this more on the Amiga later than I did on this version. In fact, I don't know how much time I even really spent on this. Um, mm. I'm going to say this now because this was clearly designed and meant for 16-bit. And this version, while an enviable attempt to cram as much brown into a game as possible, <laughs> is sadly lacking. It's all brown. Lacking. The main out-of-the-box race here is the Porsche 959 versus the Ferrari F40. Both crazy powerful supercars mm. and very late uh, in sort of and very um you know late 80s early 90s you know poster fodder in fact i had posters of both those cars in my youth and indeed i really you liked did. them i still do and i also you know i had a detailed and articulated diecast model of both of those cars you know they were they were very you no know, they were the kind of things they, they just looked the part they look good looking cars well actually the porsche is the f40 is a bit of a block but anyway so, you know, I, I was always a bit fascinated by them. I'm not what you call a petrol head, really, traditionally at all, but I did quite like them, um, especially the Porsche. So this game probably would have appealed to me at a certain stage, but not this point at all. I wasn't really into cars at this point. So anyway, but and I think also by now, the hooks of the Amiga were gradually starting to take hold of me. Now, don't get me wrong, I still was well into my demos. I still had a C64 at this point, um, 
but the games were less impressive. And my mate Mark, that's NMI from S Express, he had an Amiga at this point. So I was starting to see and experience more Amiga games on a mm-hmm. sort of regular basis. Yep. Um, and I think I was starting to sort of feel the pain a little bit. So then there's also, with this, by the way, there's some optional car and scenery discs for the game. Hang on a minute. <coughs> There's some option. Um, there's some optional car and scenery discs for the game, and uh, I don't know. It was it wasn't clear whether you, these were purchased extras or something like that. But anyway, they they existed, and that meant you could actually increase the number of cars that you could drive in the duel, mm-hmm. and that means you could increase the number of car- well, you increase the number of cars you can drive, and you can increase the number of cars that you can race against. It doesn't mean you can increase the number in the race. There's only you versus the other car, and obviously yeah. the other things on the road. But it means that you've got more cars to choose from, and also there's more scenery DLC. Really interesting that. Mm. Anyway. Um, so, you know, so it did increase the things. And I suppose there's a, ooh, that's good, is it? Well, okay. So the game is a duel, a race between you and AN Other through the roadscapes of the USA or Europe if you've got the extra disc or just, you know, bog standard default racetrack if you've got the uh, <laughs> that one. They could have named that one. If you did, you flick through the different options. It was California Highway, ooh, European Trip, ooh, default master disc. Oh. <laughs> it's a massive corn clog. <laughs> yeah, you could have just named it something. It's a bit. Anyway, all right, you didn't. So you again, you've got the say. So you've got those roadscapes, and also, of course, on the route there are police cars and all the usual stuff. First seen and experienced in test drive, it's principally the same thing, really. Uh-huh. But this is basically the same game, isn't it? All said and done. Uh, yeah. So the trimmings are all principally the same. Some nice titles, graphics, and details in the preamble for the games. The game starts um, the same with more sampled kind of clippy music. An attempt at some kind of neo, neon effect logo, which doesn't work unless you add color. So it just looks like white neon, which is weird. Um, and then it's to the, so it looks like you haven't switched it on. And then it's to the main game option screen. And then you've got this kind of, these blocks. Now this is, I imagine the same as Demiga. I didn't look at any of the other versions. I just focused on this one. I didn't want it to jinx my view. So mm-hmm. you can choose either race against the clock or race against the computer. That's your options for your opponents. You can then choose your car or, and then you can choose your computer's car. So you can choose the duel, the nature of the duel. You can then choose the scenery, of course, uh, between the wonderful options of Master Default or the uh, Highways of California <laughs> or the byways and A-roads of uh, of Lincolnshire and then the Europe. Yeah. And then there's a, the odd option there, which is install, which is how you install them if you haven't got them already, but we already had them in our crazy good crack version. By the way, the version that was made into a... Um, Easy car, I mean, an easy flash. It's kind of crazy that they managed to cram all this under that. It's so good. Anyway, that, mm. go, and, go and play that one if you're going to play. It's pretty cool. This is a multi-load game. The loading wasn't that bad, but there is loading in it. And there's a bit of annoying. There's one part which I'll talk about where it is annoying, but we'll talk about that in a bit. So with the extra cars, you can choose from a Camaro, a 9560 Camaro, the Corvette ZR1, the RUF Twin Turbo, the Ferrari Testarossa, Lotus Esprit Turbo, the Lamborghini Countach, the Corvette Stingray, the Dodge Charger, the Daytona version, which looks looks like a rocket, but it's the one that they use in the Fast and the Furious, if you're wondering which one it is. And oh, one okay. that uh, Dom drives in that, and when he accelerates it, goes, and it's sort of, you know, crazy. <laughs> and then there's the oh, Mustang one. Shelby GT500, which is one of my favorite cars of all time, by the way, and the Pontiac GTO. So, you know, this are, those are the cars, and it tells you all the specs. You select them by pressing up and down. It appears with the same layout of that they did in test drive. So you get the kind of car at the top, loads of specs in kind of you know, writing that you can barely read, but you know, the important stuff's there for all the petrol heads. And then when you select the car, you get the kind of a, not as good a quality as animation as the first game, actually. You kind of, it's that annoying when he, the window rolls down, he looks to the sort of pulls a kind of a, uh, face and then his head <laughs> jerks back to facing forward and he slowly trundles off. 
you know, I was expecting it to be more of a kind of wheel spin and zoom, but, you know, it isn't anyway. No, it's not. And like I said, you've got in the extra scenery, California Challenge, European Challenge and Master Scenery Disc. So enjoy those when you can. <laughs> and again, so yeah, once you choose, and now I always chose the CPU opponent. I didn't choose against the clock, but the game will principally play the same. You just probably don't have an opponent chasing you or whatever. You choose your difficulty after that on the next screen. It's kind of a left to right display. Rookie on the left. Um, I think it's pro on the right or something like that with a range of auto gears at the beginning of the rookie end. And then if you go just a bit further, you can go into manual and then you can go all the way up to pro. I can imagine the cars are pretty uncontrollable at that top end. I didn't go down that far. I kept it on auto because I just wanted to try and see how far I could get. Um, when the game starts with your dashboard at the bottom, this is my bit of where it's a pain because the loader, if you're not in the easy flash version, the dashboard loads and then it takes a while for the game to load. So you sort of sat just staring at a dashboard with a black view in it, which is a bit weird. Mm. Um, I don't quite know why it does that, why it loads in that kind of way. You know, maybe that's just the way to do it on the disc, whatever, but it felt a bit naff. Um, so the game starts with your dashboard of your chosen car at the bottom. All the dashboards are different. Highly detailed they are, Adrian. They look exactly, exactly like the blocky monstrosities that you would pick up when you buy these cars. They're exactly the same. Totally, totally the same. And it controls exactly like Test Drive. So as in Test Drive, your windscreen view shows the road details, such as they are. You get the top left is the police scanner, the top right your rear view, and then you've got the dashboard. And then when you change gear, a dashboard, a gear change thing pops up in a similar way. Now, the Amiga one is exactly the same as that, only much higher resolution and, and actually looks like a dashboard. Yeah. The C64 <laughs> one looks like a blocky version of it, I guess, best thing you can say. The colors for the main view are really weird. I mean, they're just plain odd. Um, Gray roads, okay. Okay, get that. Blue sky, fair enough. Clouds. I'm sure that's what they are. White clouds and a blue sky, fine. Lots of brown, though. Loads of brown details. Everything was brown and everything else was green, including the road markings. And when you cracked the windscreen of your car, it went green. <laughs> I'm just like, all right, this is clearly a limitation of a, of a small palette on a C64, but why green? Why aren't they white? <laughs> Don't know. I've just noticed there's been a prevalence of green games recently. Ghostbusters, the real Ghostbusters, green sprites. The Amstrad version of that, green game. This, green road detail. It's not green, it's white. Stupid. You push up to speed up, um, and automatic, obviously, it changes your gear for you. If you are in manual, you press fire button to change and up and down, go up and down the gears. As you can imagine, it controls like that. You steer the car with the dot in the middle working as that digital to analog. It doesn't work very well, though, in this. Um, no. You navigate the roads, bends. You try and avoid oncoming traffic. You won't really be successful at that in this version. All the police entanglements, such as that. If you go past the police car really fast, you'll get they'll, they'll flash the lights and follow you. And, you know, the idea is they're meant to pull over, but you don't. You zoom off and all that. So that's the they're meant to be the game. So there's that a dimension of it. It's a road race, remember. So you're on the roads. So it's not on a track or anything like that. But the game updates like a sluggish nightmare on the screen. There's literally no sense of speed with this. It's kind of incredible. That's the one thing that it hasn't got. Mm. The engine sounds are kind of classic Sid waveform extravaganza. Maybe that sounds like the engine. Maybe it's just something that will gradually punch its way into your mind. Um, I don't know. I mean, and they, you know, they play the. You know, you're in a different car, so you get a different tone. So I'm in mean, a car, must have a much you know bigger engine. So it's, and then you're in a Ferrari. You're like, All right, I get it. I get it. Limitations being what they are. Okay, fine. But it's just unpleasant after a while listening to that. It is. Uh, the controls are lifeless. Uh, the view is blocky, um, badly coloured and jerky. Other cars and details will flick across the screen in a garish array of colours and details that will leave you confounded beyond all reality. <laughs> the scaling is off the chart crazy. So pine trees go past that seem to be too short and there's cliff edges that seem to be too big and 
things are all wrong. There's a giant signs in kind of written weird vector writing that aren't vectors and don't really work. And it's just all a bit shonky and jerky. You, no feeling of speed in this. So even if you are going fast, you don't feel like you are, but the car controls so badly and then you fly off cliffs at high speed. You think, hang on a minute, was I going fast? The engine sounded like it was going fast, but it didn't look like I was going fast. No. And yeah, I shot past and shot off that cliff because trying to control this around the bends or around or trying to avoid things is impossible. As soon as you turn the wheel and try and turn the wheel back to straighten up your car, it will just veer off and crash or just skid around. It's it's not a controllable thing. And that's because they, it doesn't update quick enough for you to be able to gain control of the car because you kind of jerk, 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 jerk. It's just jerky. Nasty, that. I don't like it. I didn't like it about the first game, but I don't remember it being as bad as this. So something's maybe changed somewhere. I don't know what. Um, so the game lacks any kind of control finesse, and that means you can't really navigate anything in a game or drive anywhere. And in a game that's fundamentally about driving, that's a big mm. problem, isn't it? You can't drive the damn thing. You can you can almost sort of feel like you are for maybe a minute, yeah. but before long, you're skidding out of control, and then a green crack will appear. And that's never a good thing in any way, shape, or form. And your windscreen will crack. You'll lose a life. You've got to think five lives. And then it's back to the beginning again. If you lose all your five lives, by the way, you do lose the race. Obviously, you're done. So all in all, what does it all mean? You know, this is a multi-load thing. It's accolade. It's got production. It's got the production values. But this is a bad port from the Amiga. The Amiga version is passable. It's not bad because it's got the speed, the processor to carry off the 3D requirements of a game of this type. It's not perfect. And you've got mouse control. So you've got, you control it. And now as much as controlling a car with a mouse is crazy, mm. um, it's better than trying to control it with a dot on a joystick. All said and done. Um, so it's a dreary mess, this really. It's a sad one. I think all the issues from the first game still remain, but I actually think this is worse, if that's if it's possible. And we didn't hate the first one, but I, I couldn't. I came to hate this one. I just thought it was a jerky brown nightmare. Um, I get the idea of multiple cars and all of that. That's an, okay, that's fine. But you could have just released this as, as an update for test drive, really. Um, and this isn't very good. The C64 is just not up to the job, really, here. It has all the trimmings and it has all, some of the brouhaha, but it doesn't have any of the actual game power to be able to pull it off. Now, I don't quite know what went wrong in some ways because I think when I think about how good Grand Prix Circuit was, and that was Accolade, and that had the same digital to analog kind of dock control, but that seemed a lot faster and it moved mm. a lot quicker and, and there was more going on. I don't quite get what how it's gone wrong. Maybe it's just that, I don't know, there's something's not something has gone wrong somewhere. So my thinking for this one, it should have remained on the 16-bit platforms and just never do an 8-bit version of it. Don't bother. I mean, I get the idea. The C64 is there. There's a, you know, you, you, you're giving service to the owners of those machines. Accolade, you know, okay, fine. But just, you know, maybe sometimes you can just not release things for the C64. It doesn't have to be one because you've released it for the Amiga. Maybe some games just aren't going to work. Mm. So it's nice that you're trying to service the owners of the older machines. And that they, you know, you didn't want them to feel that they get abandoned for releases like that. You know, you, you, you're giving them that lip service, fine. But you're not giving them very good products. Um, you're giving them something that when they look at it and they see their mates with an Amiga, are going to go, well, that's crap compared to that. Yeah. And that's exactly how it felt. So I didn't enjoy it. Um, and I, it's sad, really, because I was, I was thinking how good that Grand Prix Circuit was, thinking you know, maybe they've just took some of that and added some, you know, some extra bits and cars to it. That wouldn't have been seemed like it would have been too big a stretch but this is nothing like that. I like the cars. I like the idea of doing that, but the C64, just it just can't do it. It can't do this. It's a 16-bit no. game and it should have stayed there. In the end, something horrible happened. But what about you? Are you there with it? No, not really, no. And just to add, I mean, this isn't not just the C64. There was Amstrad, MSX, Spectrum versions. Yeah. Spectrum version doesn't, Spectrum and MSX version don't look good. There's even a Macintosh screenshot. Yeah. They might have run slightly well. quicker maybe, but... Mm. 
Maybe, I don't know. Um, but yeah, as you said, it's another deport and not this is really not a very pretty one. And yeah, yeah, after the high of Grand Prix Circuit, which we, you know, both really enjoyed and really liked, um, this is quite the nosedive. And I don't I don't know whether it was bad as the first one. I, I thought that we hated the first one. I don't know. I can't I can't remember much of it because it was like terrible blocky uh cars and stuff. So it's just pale it just the problem with this is it just pales in comparison to that Amiga and ST version. Um, yeah, you know, and and you look at them, you're like, oh, okay. The visuals in this are really blocky. The frame rate really struggles to deliver. And I've written the same as you. It struggles to deliver any sense of speed to proceedings. The other cars are, are really blocky, like I said. Not, they're not very impressive. The sounds aren't great. And I don't know why you have lives. I don't understand. I don't mm. understand the concept of lives. It seems an arbitrary thing to include in a driving game where the whole point is to set times or beat your opponent. Either yeah, you set a good yeah. time, you beat your opponent, or you don't. Absolutely true. Like you don't have lives in Outrun. You just don't make the checkpoint. It just seems yeah. stupid. It just seems an odd thing. You got five lives and it's game over. It's like why? I just I fail. I don't catch him. I don't get in front. I don't have a good time. That's the whole point of driving games. Yeah, I think this is an odd. It's a rather misguided game. This. I think even even if you got lives on the Amiga, I think that would be a bad choice. But I think. But overall, this is just asking too much of the C64 to really deliver a solid experience. It's just turgid and dull. And like you said, they've got those brown cliffs like they had in the first one as well. It's just big blocks of brown, yeah. brown. Thank God. Like, oh. So no, I didn't. I didn't like this. I, I, I think and like yeah, the the analog steering control just seemed to work in Grand Prix Circuit. I, I found it much easier to control. This just seemed to veer all over the shop constantly. And whether it's you know yeah. simulating driving a Porsche at high speed or something. Um, I don't know. Yeah, and you lose a life as well. I mean, I first started out, I went to manual gears. and I, first, mm. I just pushed it forward straight away. I went, boom. Yeah, blew your engine like, up. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah, no, I didn't like this. I thought it was just, it, it just some games just leave, you know, we're in that period, aren't we? We're across, it's a cross-generation period where it's really, you know, you see this with all sort of generations of consoles, machines switching over, whether, it, you know, and it goes through time whether PS1 to PS2, PS2 to PS3, all those kind of eras where you get these cross-generation ones and this is just a, a victim of trying to please, obviously, a large audience but not really giving them the product that the machine can really do well. There you go. Test Drive 2. <laughs> There's an obvious joke there, and I'm not going to say it. <laughs> it's beneath me, Graham. It's beneath me. It is. It's beneath us all. Yeah, it's don't beneath do it. us all. Let's not do it. Let's move on. We've still got one game left. Let's move on to that. And that game, but it's a budget title. It's one ninety nine. This is Cockatoni Wilf. Cockatoni Wilf from the dark depths of 1984 comes this budget re-release from Encore. Encore. Did anyone Encore. say Encore for Cockatoni Wilf? Not sure. This was originally released by Elite, and they're clearly in the mode to raid of raiding the back cupboards um, for releases for their Encore label. They're just what we got following because don't forget less not too long back we had the less than desirable release of turbo esprit um so encore you know anything just 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 chuck it out just chuck it out put it on the encore label put it out get it out there get it out yeah so this was programmed by neil a bait 
who some of yeah. our listeners who will go back all the way back to, I think, episode one, I think, may remember did the acid trip nightmare of Stringfellow Hawk um, and the C64 version of Airwolf, yeah, the floating yeah. wolves and stuff, floating faces. But before he did Airwolf, he did this. And there is a story, and it comes with a catch. I'll read that story to you now. Legend has it that several hundred years ago in a province in northern Europe, there lived a great magician who was known by the people of the time as Ulrich. Ulrich discovered that there had once existed a legendary dragon amulet, fragments of which had been scattered throughout time. Ulrich wished to recover all the fragments of the amulet, but by the time of its discovery had become too old and infirm to undertake the arduous task by himself. So Ulrich commanded his athletic protege, Cockatoni Wilf, to recover the fragments for him. Ulrich sent Wilf back in time more than 500 million years to a time when dinosaurs roamed the earth. 65 million, I think you'll... <laughs> yeah, you're a few out. million years. It's a few out, yeah. The only help he was able to offer Wilf was to provide him with a set of wings to aid his search. Only when all of the fragments had been collected from a time period was Ulrich able to give Wilf further help by creating a glowing time gate. I could have given him a gun. Yeah, why not? <laughs> all he could do is do all this magic, send you through time, can't make a gun though. When located, the time gate enabled Wolf to travel to another period where more fragments of the amulet were to be found. Your task is to guide Wilf in his search for the fragments of the legendary dragon amulet. There is a competition. There was a competition for this game when it was originally released. When Wilf has collected all of the fragments of the amulet, a message is printed on the screen, which reveals why Ulrich has sent him to recover them. They were offering the first 100 people to tell them Ulrich's secret a free copy of the next Elite title. This was back in 1984. Do you know what that mm, okay. t- game was, Graham? It was no. the officially licensed version of the 20th Century Fox TV series, the Fall Guy. Gosh. You could have got a copy of the Fall Guy game <laughs> for playing that through this. It sound good. It's not good. It's not good. With that great prize in mind, let's get to Cockatoni Wolf. The game loads and we are greeted with a game from 1984. There's no other way to put it. There just isn't. <laughs> the big logo is made up of character blocks and the simple tune is, well, it's 1984 style Sid music. It's that dear two, 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 you know, it's three channels, but it's just... It's very basic. Pressing fire starts the game, and we control Wolf as he tries to navigate the countless screens of hazards in search of the pieces of the amulet. In search of the pieces of the amulet, one of which is on each screen. So there's a piece of the amulet on each screen. Hazards such as dinosaurs of all types of sizes, clouds, bats, birds, and all other kinds of crap needs to be avoided as you progress. Control is inertia-based, with Wilf being able to fly and glide to some extent, and careful applications of the controls are needed to ensure Wilf does not make contact with anything, as if so much as a pixel of Wilf or his large wings grazes any enemy, it will cost you a life. Once they're all gone, then your quest is over. You can see that a lot of this went into making Airwolf. It's got the same kind of control system with the flying character being controlled with careful application of the joystick. You can see the lineage from this to, this to Airwolf, I think. The graphics are simple. There's not a lot to say about this game. The graphics are really simple, even for 1984. Although the single color enemies do have some decent animation, I guess, as they wander about. Wilf is okay for the time. He's like a sort of multicolor sprite with big wings and stuff. Flaps around a bit. And the controls, you kind of get used to them a bit, but you're kind of sort of floating around. The music that starts and stops at random is Consider Yourself from Oliver Twist for some reason. I don't know why. Um, do you know why that piece of music was used? No. I don't. Um, I wish it wasn't. Um, I, yeah. Amusingly, in issue one of Zap, they listed this as number four in their 10 tackiest top sellers list alongside such things as Alice in Videoland and Valhalla. There you go. So essentially what this is, yeah, you basically move from screen to screen. There'll be a white sort of cross on somewhere on the screen. You go and collect it. You move on to the next screen. Um, and it, So it's Jet Set Willy-like 
that sort of thing, but you but with wings. So you're just moving around. It, 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 that's what it is. It's a, it's a flying platform, a flick screen thing where you're just trying to collect these things. There's not really much to say about this. It borrows a lot from Activision's Hero, I thought, because it came a, came out a few months mm. after that. Yeah, yeah, um, it does, from a, actually. Um, from a quick uh, look at when those two seem to be released. So I think there's a bit of Hero DNA in this. Uh, it could be coincidence. There's not too much between them, but, you know, I think... You know, it does borrow a lot from that, I think, maybe. I didn't, I don't know, I didn't hate this. I remember playing this back when I first got a C64. I think it was on like a turbo tape or something that someone gave me. Um, or someone gave, I had this. I don't think I bought it. Not full price, and I don't think I rented it. But I remember having this to play, and I remember playing this for a bit because that tune. When I heard that tune, all came back and the opening screen and stuff. And I was like, oh, I remember this. I remember this. Um, it's just one of those games you play, and I, we got our C64 in 1984, so it would have been late 84, early 85 that I played this. Um, it's not a great game, though. I, it, but it doesn't really stand up to other budget releases we've had, we've seen recently. Um, admittedly, it's better than street cred boxing, but you know. There's not much in it, but when you when you actually rate this against some of the the really quality mm. budget titles we've had, you know things like Zamzara, Kickstart, Thrust, all those games we've seen at budget level in the, in this period of time. I mean, Leaderboard, I think, is you know going through the charts. Leaderboard and stuff is like that is out on budget now. Releasing this is a bit like really, really, yeah. It just doesn't stand up. It's it's interesting from a curio perspective, and you know you can really see the progression of games from 1984 to 1989. Um, in regards to something like this, but that's about it. It's very much a product of its time. I don't, it, I don't think it's worthy of a budget release in 1989. So, I mean, I can't, I can't knock the game because the game is a 1984 game, and for 1984, it's kind of fine. It's not terrible. It's not bad. It's kind of what you'd expect in 1984 for the Commodore 64. In these, yeah. ca- you know, for these sort of things, I think the, the the question I would have is why did Elite deem this worthy? of a budget re-release because I don't, it's, it doesn't deserve one. Not really. Maybe a a couple of years prior to this, maybe, maybe 1986, 87, but by 1989 releasing this for two quid. Nah, I think that's, um, I think it's taking the piss a bit and uh, I I don't really see the point of why this is being released. There you go. Pocatoni Wolf, what about you? Well, I guess we don't get flap and seek games very often. (laughs) Um. (laughs) Ah, that good old genre. <laughs> How I've missed thee. <laughs> and it was, it's obviously, it's obviously a, the budget. Re, it's a bit obviously the budget re-release. I mean, it, it was you know way back in 1984. I mean, maybe it was great then. Flying jet set Willie, flying Willies, and uh, <laughs> it's just enough. It's all going mad. Um, flying, I don't know. I'm losing it. Um, it's late. We'll be recording a while. Golly, it's hard today. Um, anyway, it's, it looks a bit outdated. Obviously, in 1989 terms compared to 1984. It plays as well as those kind of things do from that time. It has all those really annoying things from that time, though, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Really repetitive, annoying music, crappy death loops, so you spawn instant death, spawn instant death kind of thing. Silly enemies, daft screen and screen level design, yeah. you know, mad flip screen craziness and enemies that are stupid. And These were a vogue of games, and these, you know, the Jet Set Willies, the Manic Miners, yeah. that, that, that kind of vogue, they were just of, you know, of that time, weren't they? And people liked it, and I, and I get it, it's... They're not bad exploratory games, if you know that kind of thing. And and back then, you can imagine people like, oh, this is great, and it probably was back then. And, and I suppose if you don't, if you don't mind, you know, mapping and flapping, this is a mapper flapper, isn't it? <laughs> flapper mapper. <laughs> it is a flapper mapper. We don't get many flap and seek mapper flappers. You know, we don't get many of them, do we? This is maybe one of maybe it's a handful, really. 
We need a clap. Um, so if you like, if you if you like <laughs> flapping and rapping, you're going to love this one. You've got to be clapping all the way. <laughs> <laughs> flapping, rapping, and clapping. It's a flappy, rappy, clappy. Um, <laughs> and you know, if you like that kind of thing for a couple of quid, you know, it's not that. It's it's not terrible for its age. I have to say, it is just of its age and of its game type and of its genus and of its era. But for two quid, it's fine. I don't. Seventy-seven percent is a bit high for this. No, it's not. It's, yeah. it's not a terrible game, but it's not seventy-seven percent great. I mean, just give it what it deserves. It's probably at fifty percent. You know, it's it's all right. No, it's an old game. It's all right. It's not. It's not three quarters of a great game in nineteen eighty-nine, is it? Come on, even up two quid, it's pretty basic. So I don't know. I think, and, and they didn't give it a lot of you know review time, did they? They're like, oh, it's classic Tony Wolf. Yeah, it's classic. Yeah, classic. Yeah. 77%. Like, you haven't actually said anything about this. Stupid reviewers. Anyway, I enjoyed it for a three or four minutes and I was like, by the time I died and run into the stupid, got that silly sound that it does every time you die. I'm like, yeah, I remember why I don't like these games now. Yeah. Mapping, <laughs> flapping, it ain't for me. No no clapping. I don't mind clapping, but I don't like flapping or mapping particularly. <laughs> so it's just, this isn't, you know, the Holy Trinity, as it were, it doesn't appeal to me. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to get, I'm not going to go for it, but the, the flap, the map and the Holy Clap. <laughs> That's a good title for an album. So yeah, so uh, I, no, it, it is what it is. It's an old game, you know, made flesh, isn't it? It's all right, but mm-hmm. it, it's, it's showing its age pretty badly. It's not going to align itself up to some of the more modern games in any way, shape, or no, form. Exactly. So. No, but that's what I mean. It doesn't even stand up against sort of. I mean, it doesn't even come close to some of the sort of more decent budget modern no, budget stuff. Not at all. No, it's not. It's just you know a bit of a cash in really on on something really weird. So and why is it called Cockatoni anyway? No idea. No idea. Okay. Okay. Well, it's, you know, this is a game about flapping, mapping. It's got cock in the title, um, <laughs> and it's uh, and it's a flying willy. So it's it's, it's it's an entendre crazy. So you know, if you like that kind of thing, yeah, you're going to go for it. <laughs> I know. Oh, so we're going to enjoy yeah, yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> Brought to you by the Carry On team. Yeah, Carry On Cockatoni. Yeah. Cockatoni wilt. <laughs> <laughs> And on that note, there we go. See games. They just they just make your brain go odd. The you at the it. end when you've got a f- mapper flapper. <laughs> that's kind of it's clapping, flapping and mapping with a cock and a wilf. Like, uh, oh me. dear, there we go. What have we looked at this week? Oh, Jesus. Phobia? Too hard. Too hard. Too hard. <laughs> Too bloody hard. Oh, God, especially after mapper flapper. <laughs> Oh God! Whoa, it's too hard. Street, street cred boxing, crap, crap. Navy moves even harder. <laughs> circus oh, attra- matron. Circus attractions. Nice big top. <laughs> sake. Such children. The dual test drive oh. too. I can't yeah. remember that. And I'm not going to say the joke. No, and finally, uh, Cockatoni Wilt. Uh. Yeah, I think the best one, Circus Attractions. Yeah, yeah, actually out of that, because the others are borderline. They're too hard. The nicest looking one, could the nicest one that could have been was probably Navy Moves, if they'd have just toned it down a bit, because it's got something, but and Phobia maybe, but no. Yeah, Phobia and hard, Navy so. Moves look look okay, yeah, but, but the... But you're right, so Circus Attractions, which is odd, but you know. Get what you're given, you get what you're given. Uh, next week... A little bit of different. I think we've got an Aster podcast coming out because uh, we've got we're on a bit of a break 
um, mm. holidays and stuff. So we haven't got the sort of time to actually re- get the games done. So uh, episode one to eight will be in two weeks' time. But next week there will be a there will be something coming. Um, our, mm, our little treat. Yeah, our grand patrons have asked us some questions and we will answer them. So that'll be out next Monday. But yeah, so we'll be doing that. What we will be looking at in two weeks' time, though, when we do come back after that, we've got uh, only five games, but still Project Firestart. Mm. Could be interesting. I'm quite looking forward to that one. Gilbert, Escape from Drill. I'm not looking forward to that. No. Grand Monster Slam. There you go. There's the other one. Is that the one, same people who did Circus Attractions? Is it Golden Goblins, whatever they're called? Yeah. Okay. Uh, then we've got the then we've got Stormlord, um, okay. which I reckon is just going to be dead hard again. Yeah, but great music, great music. Yeah, and finally Jack Nicholas's greatest eighteen holes of Major Championship Golf, not Major Championship Gold, like they said in Zap last time. <laughs> yeah, no, not that, not that one. <laughs> okay. uh, all right, there we go. If you wish to support the podcast, you can do. You can do that by going to our Patreon, and it's four pound fifty, and or whatever that is where you are, and that gets you access to the Discord, early access to the episodes. And that obviously supports us and keeps us ticking along and things like that. And you get to ask us questions and join in when we do the end of year stuff and blah, 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 and things like that. Yeah. And if you want to do that, or you can buy us a Kofi on Kofi.com forward slash sap to the past. It's patreon.com forward slash sap to the past if you want to do that. Or anything else, just give us a mention, give us a shout, whatever. If you want to uh, chat about anything that we've said, you can always message us or whatever. I think that's about it. I don't think, have we got anything else to add, Graham? No, no. I think we've, uh, you know, we've explored what we can explore and, no, I think we're done. It's mm. getting late. It is getting late, and that's the first half of July done. We'll be back next week with, like I said, our Asta podcast. July will continue in two weeks' time. So until then, until we see you again, I have been Adrian Mills. And I have been Graham Raddings. And you have been listening to Clappy Flappy Mappy, and we will see you again next week. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Zap to the Past podcast. We hope you enjoyed our deep dive into the world of Commodore 64 games, as well as the music, films and TV from around the 1980s, driven, of course, by the issue of Zap 64 magazine published at that time. We will return with a whole new batch of games and stuff to talk about next week. Until then, if you want to listen to or download previous episodes of Zap to the Past, and why wouldn't you, they can all be found on our website at zaptothepast.com, as well as being available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, Audible, Player FM, and, well, pretty much anywhere where we can upload them. By the way, we do always love to hear from our amazing listeners, so if you'd like to contact us about anything in the podcast or beyond, you can do so by emailing us at zaptothepast at gmail.com. We're also active on Twitter under at Zaptuda, as well as Facebook, Instagram, and most social media platforms. Just search for Zap to the Past and you'll find us. Oh, and if you like the podcast and what we're doing, please do like, share, review, rate us. It really helps. Something, apparently. The Zap to the Past podcast is written and produced by Adrian Mills and Graham Ruddings and recorded at Flaky Bits 2.0 Studio. All opinions expressed are those of the writers, and while we indeed love Zap64 magazine, the Zap to the Past podcast is not affiliated with it in any way. Stay safe, see you next time, and remember, we play these games so you don't have to.